Greetings. Hello and welcome. The archival recording you are about to hear was sourced from live streaming audio in an effort to expand content reach. I have decided to repurpose the show as an audio podcast. I have done my best to remaster the audio quality for your ears, but I have chosen to leave its content and length unedited. So you may hear reference to visual cues not described in said audio. If you'd like to see the original live streaming video podcast this recording comes from, please head over to youtube.com slash C slash Frumis Films LLC or just search Frumis, F-R-U-M-E-S-S. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Audio from episode to episode will also vary in quality. Sorry about that. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Jeff from us. Make it from Florida. 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 Do 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 some kind of love with some kind of hate the maggots in the iron lung won't cop you well I screwed that up oops welcome to the show we're just Launching right into it. Welcome, welcome, welcome. <clears throat> Coming to you live from Satan's Crypt, down in the base. Uh, got a got a new lighting scheme, I guess. I didn't even think about it like that, but I guess we do. Hope we sound good. Um, got a doozy of a show for you tonight. I'm really excited. Evening, Chris. How are you? Um, good to see you, buddy. Really stoked about this show. I've been wanting to do it for a while. What's up, Dagger Love? Good to see you in the house tonight. We got MVM. I'm just going to go through everybody and say hello. MVM is here. We have Hugh Dillon popping in to watch from us. You know, Chris is peachy. I'm just, I'm just so, I'm so happy to, to see all you guys. See all you guys. Can't see anybody, but you know what I mean by that. Um, where to begin? Where to begin? Let's just launch into it. So we're here to talk about Danzig's first show. And man, you know, I, I found this. It, it's not really an article. It's actually it's an excerpt from a book uh, about City Gardens, which was the venue. Very, very iconic venue in New Jersey. But not only that, coupled with that is the fact that um, a, a member of our, I guess, community is, is that the, is that appropriate to say a member of our community um, was at that show? And I said, oh boy, this is perfect. This is so perfect. We're going to, we're going to read this thing. We're going to go through some stuff and then we're going to bring an eyewitness who was there for the show, who can talk about their own personal experiences and, you know, um, either, you know, agree with the things said or, or disagree because they would know because they were actually there. <laughs> What's up, Rue Morg? Um, yeah, so it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting, to say the least. So I'm really glad you guys are all here. 
Um, let's just let's just go into it. Let's go into it. We'll do we'll do all the commercial stuff a little bit later. So mid 1986, Sam Hain plays their final show. It's like a new seminar, something showcase. I'm the name slips my mind. Somebody somebody pull up what the exact name name of it was. It was at the Ritz in New York City. The the final lineup, the November coming fire lineup with Damien on guitar, London May on drums, Erie on bass, and uh, Uncle Glenn on, you know, doing his frontman thing. And it's a legendary show. I think it was Greg Fasolino who was supposed to go to the show, but he brought his video camera and chose, you know, this is New York City in the mid-80s. It's not really a, you don't want to be leaving your giant, bulky, clunky video camera in your car. So he, you know, he was like, oh, thank you, Ravner. It was the new music seminar. Amy, Amy's in the house. How you doing, Amy? Good to see you. Um, so it's, it's not, you don't want to leave. You're not going to leave your car. You're not, Ravner says, like a precursor to South by Southwest. That's a good way to put it, I suppose. Thank you. Um, you're not going to leave your, your big bulky camera in, in the car. It's just, it's just not a smart idea. So Greg didn't go, but, um, in any case, after the show, Rick Rubin, who we all know, Uber mega producer, who's still, he's a college student, started Def Jam, whatever, Def Jam records out of his dorm room. You know, he's working with some hip hop artists, working with Beastie Boys, he's working with Slayer. He goes to Glenn and he says, hey man, I want to sign you, blah, 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 blah. I want to rep you or I want something like that. I don't know what it was. Manage you. Well, we have Joe Truck Casher in the house from the Brain Eaters. Phenomenal guy. Joe and I drove. Joe was the guy who was with me when we drove down to go see Billy Rath and, and whatnot. Joe showed me the mad. Big shout out to Joe. Check check him out. Check out his band, the Brain Eaters. He's got a billion bands. Good to see you, Joe. Joe, you call me next time you're in New York. Um, so I, the first thing I wanna I wanna talk about is. There's this great article from Misfit Central that talks to uh, it's like an interview with Rick Rubin where he's talking about what how what he thought of Danzig, Glenn Danzig and the Misfits and and whatnot. So let's let's start there. And as we like to be very thorough, you know, remember how thorough we were with the final Misfits show and hearing the the testimony from Beyond the Grave with uh, Brain Damage Keats. Tonight's tonight's event is sponsored by Grapefruit Bubbly Seltzer. Get a little bit of bubbly. All right, let's share the screen here. Get this get this party started here. I think it's this one. Let's see. Let's see if I did it right. Did it right. Yeah, that's it. It's like tiny print. So you can't really see this, but this is from Kerrang Metal Special, Fall of 1988. Now hear this excerpt. By Stefan, I'm going to butcher your last name, Stefan Chirazi? Chirizi? Chirazi? I don't know. That's right. We are 138. Um, yeah, we're just talking about it, Wigs. I don't have that footage. Come on, man. What's up, Neon Knees? Good to see you. We got Chris in the house. Chris from Morning Noise is here as well. So cool. Got so many peeps in the house right now. Um, 
So Glenn Danzig is something of a baby adopted by Rick Rubin. What a weird thing to say. <laughs> He's a, yeah, what's up, Robbie? Mr. Bloodshed. Um, <laughs> this is so funny, man. Glenn Danzig is something of a baby adopted by Rick Rubin who admits he was never a Misfits fan. I didn't like them, and I thought they were, and I actually thought they were terrible, but I always knew Glenn was a great singer. Um, and that he had great songwriting potential that hadn't been fully realized. Indeed, Danzig now sounds as a true rocker and as a hard, sorry, hard roller, uh, a, a true rocker and a hard roller, as he ever did before, channeling the aggression of the Misfits and Sam Hain into more than just speed or stage shock. Whilst, whilst, not while, whilst Danzig, the man, has always displayed the ability to perform as such, it's been a rare occasion in the past, and one can't help uh, feeling that Ruben has helped focused, has helped focus Danzig properly. I think that is spot the freak on, right? Spot the freak on about that. Um, that he, yeah, that he sort of helped him. Sorry, I lost my place. Wow. That he's always displayed the ability to play blah, 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 blah. I just already, already lost my place. This is, it's been a rare occasion. In fact, that Okay, that Ruben is helping to focus Danzig properly. I think that really surmises everything that I'm about to say. Leaving the diminutive front man, ooh, diminutive front man, with a clearer objective and a sharper view of his own music. I mean, there's, 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 some, there's some validity there, a little bit. At least in terms of finding success as Danzig there is, I would say. Danzig's album is the first official Deaf American release. I did not know that. So I guess American Recordings partnered with Def Jam to become Deaf American. And before it was just Def Jam, something like that. Um, and, you know, look, I, I think that we need, I think when, when we talk about Danzig's focus, I think it needs, we need to clarify that that is in relation to trying to take, take it to the next level. Because Danzig in the Misfits and Danzig in Samhain is pure DIY till you die. They go out and they did a lot of stuff. They accomplished so much as a DIY band, right? But there were things that even as a DIY band that they were never going to achieve without having someone like Ruben in their corner. Danzig meets Ruben and all of a sudden he's writing songs for Johnny Cash and Roy Orbison. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Kind of crazy. And <clears throat> with Danzig, we wouldn't have gotten Danzig one. We would have gotten Sam Hain Grimm, which I, again, would be very happy with as well. But I also love Danzig one. I mean, who doesn't love Danzig one, right? So that's that's something to consider. Okay. Now let's go to the next. Let, we're going to go to the next. We're going to stop sharing that. Now we're going to go to our, our next piece. Moving right along. I feel like a, a middle school teacher with the overhead projector. Remember with the transparencies? We were we were talking talking about that here. Nick Nick agrees. Completely true. He made Danzig into his purest form in a way. Peter says he's gonna go see Death Rider on Friday. Yo, 
I am going to see Death Rider this weekend as well. You heard it here first. I'm going to go. First time I've been to a movie theater since March of 2020. I'm bringing an N95 mask, and I am going to see Death Rider. And I'm trying to figure out, maybe we'll do a review, a full review next Wednesday. But that is so happening. This Saturday, I'm going to go see Death Rider. Big movie theater, 1030 at night. I'll probably be the only one there. Really looking forward to that. Really, really, truly looking forward to it. Um, okay, so the next thing we're going to look at here, I'm going to pull up the transparency here. We'll get to some discussion a little bit later, guys. Um, we're going to look at a review of the first show. So this is a review written in a magazine. Once again, we have Misfit Central. This is from RIP Summer 1988, Live Metal, Danzig, Hellion, Apolora, and Guar, The Ritz, New York City. But this wasn't, wait, oh, was this a set? No, this wasn't a second show. This is the first show, but it's written on May 7th, 1988, because the first show was in April. He's back. No, Jason Voorhees is probably busy hacking unsuspecting camp counselors to dog me. Leatherface can't break away from his family's Texas-style lunch meat business, and Norman Bates is likely laid up on a psychologist's couch working out family problems. Glenn Danzig is a lot more interesting anyway. And besides, how many of those fictitious mass murderer come antiheroes have the Elvis modeled crooning and thrusting down like Mr. Danzig? It's been two years since Danzig played his final gig. Wait, the Ritz. Oh my God. Is this, so there was a second show also with Guar? This is from the Ritz. This is not from city gardens oh so this is not the right thing to read that's a bummer that is a bummer i was so looking forward to that i mean correct me if i'm wrong <laughs> correct me if i'm wrong but i believe that the is that the second show all right we gotta we gotta check this real quick god damn it see this is when i needed jamie just look it up jamie pull that shit up Let's go see if we can find out if the there was another oh, hate to do this. It's like really trying to stay focused on getting everything done. Yeah, the second show was at the Ritz. This is Misfit Central was wrong. Their first two shows were with Guar. How about that? Right. Wow. Okay. So let's not read this. I'm skipping over this. How about that? We're not even going to bother reading it. It's probably very interesting, but it's not. It's not in tune with the theme of the show, so we're, we're, we're going to cut that out. Cutting that out completely. All right. Um, so before we launch into the meat of this, this interesting oral history, we're going to take a look at some notes. So I re-listened today. I hadn't listened to the first show in a very long time. There is a phenomenal, phenomenal, I don't know what you would call it. Um, not a, I mean, it's like a live show. It's it's a bootleg, but, you know, it's a phenomenal tape of the first show. Normally, the first show sounds like crap. I have a recording of it. It's crap. This is a really good recording. Um, I think it's like a first-generation recording straight from the tape. And so I listened with fresh ears. I mean, I haven't listened to this in years. I listened with fresh ears, and I wrote down some notes about the first show, and I'm just going to go over them real quick. Um, the, the set list is very interesting. They open with Sam Hain, 
Twisted Cane, Mother of Mercy, Am I Demon, London Dungeon, She Rides, Black Dream, End of Time, To Walk the Night, Halloween 2, Halloween 2, Mother, The Hunter, Evil Thing, Horror Biz, The Shift, Trouble, and Not of This World. And here are some thoughts. First thing, they open with Sam Hain. Like, that blows my mind. To think that the first Danzig show actually opens with Sam Hain. This is crazy. And it sounds good. It sounds really, really good. But it's just so bizarre to me. I don't think of Danzig as an entity playing Sam Hain, Sam Hain. You know, it's just weird. Um, weird way to commemorate the opening set of your new band, too. Um, the next thing that I noticed, and this is something that runs through the whole set list, the vocal arrangements on Twist of Cain are guttural. He's still singing these songs like it is Sam Hain. The lyrics seem to be slightly different as well. So, yeah, there is, just like the first Sam Hain show at the Rock Hotel, had, a lot of those songs had different lyrics that, were, that would end up going on to Initium. Same story. He plays a show before he records the album. And so some of the arrangements are slightly different than what would end up on the album. And you, you'll hear that on the Rock Hotel Sam Hain show, and you'll hear that here for sure. And on most of the tracks, and here's my theory. This is my theory. Uh, and I said, the set list has everything you want to hear Glenn Danzig sing. It's the best of the best cuts from Misfit Sam Hain and Early Danzig. Maybe it's not the best of the best cuts, but it's just got a little bit of everything. It's a really balanced set in that kind of way. Uh, you know, as someone who loves and appreciates Sam Hain, I'm sure I just, I know you guys love and appreciate Sam Hain. Like, it's just, it's everything that you kind of want to see, you know, at least for me. That's that's how I felt about it. Um, I wrote here, Am I Demon also has the same Sam Hain attitude and approach in the vocals. It makes everything a lot more dangerous. Um, Evan Abbott on YouTube on the, on the commented underneath this bootleg tape. He says... Am I Demon sounds great. Those people in the audience didn't know what hit them. And we're going to find that out with our with our special mystery guest. We're going to find that out if that's actually the case. So uh, he's listening right now. I'm very curious to hear if he agrees with that. Did he know what hit him when he heard Am I Demon? He was one of the first people to hear Am I Demon for the first time. Pretty crazy when you think about it. Um, but but it's, here's, here's an interesting thing. I... I noticed that some of the songs he sings a little bit more with his trademark proprietary Danzig croon, right? And then there are other songs where he's doing that Sam, like what's that, what you hear on the back end of the final Descent re-release, that Sam Hain guttural, like he's just doing that thing. <laughs> it was really bad. That's not what he's doing. You know what I mean? He's doing that gruff, that, that gravelly, grunting, animalistic Sam Hain vocal. That's so awesome. But he's doing it with, not only is he doing it with Twisted Cane, he's also doing it with Am I Demon. And She Rides. It's really bananas, like in a good way, like really great. Here's what I said. At some point before they lay these songs down in the studio, Glenn changes the way he would approach vocals forevermore. The instruments are not only tight, but they sound fully formed. That's mostly true. Uh, there are a couple tracks where things still feel a little loosey-goosey. Um, I wrote London Dungeon with evil Sam Hain vocals. Um, totally leaning into the guttural. Christ's guitar 
transforms the song into something that it had never been before. Christ fills in pockets whenever he can around the vocals with all sorts of little guitar flourishes and leads, probably instantly winning over people in the audience. Because again, people are hearing Sam Hain. I mean, they're hearing dancing for the first time, brand new guitarist for the first time. And here he is playing a, you know, a, a fan favorite that is London Dungeon. And he's sort of, he's rapping his guitar licks, whatever you want to call them, his guitar things around the vocal, you know, which is interesting. I love when, I love that, you know, when it's not just a bed and you're kind of like, you're kind of popping in and popping out. Um, and he just, he does, he does really good job with that on London Dungeon. Um, you can almost, and then I wrote about She Rides. You, in, in this version of She Rides, go back and listen to this. You can almost envision She Rides as a Sam Hain song, like straight up. I, I said this over and over again. It sounded like a broken record. Danzig's vocals are still guttural, but he is also hitting certain notes with his soon-to-be Danzig-era crooning. So he's really straddling this, this change, this shift in the way that he is forever going to you know, sing as Danzig, but he's still kind of doing the Sam Hain thing uh, all the way in uh, as late as April of, of 1988, you know, which is interesting to me. Um, one track that is a bit lacking in my opinion, this is just my opinion. It's Black Dream. It's the first time I've heard Christ on a track unable to apply his talented chops in a meaningful way. There is something missing. I hate to say it, but I don't think it's punk enough. Does that make any sense, guys? I it's it's not. I, I listen. You know, we all worship John Christ's incredible guitar playing. That's not the issue. What what it is is it's almost like it's like playing a punk song like it's metal or playing a metal song like it's punk. There's an attitude, right, with the playing on some level. This doesn't feel. This is missing an element that that frankly Pete Damien Marshall Damien does so well, and I think it's because Damien has punk chops where John Christ is not only classically trained or whatever in, in musical theory, but he's just totally a metal guy, and it just something gets lost in translation for a song as out of the box as Black Dream. You know, I mean, it's not Black Dream isn't totally out of the box. That's not, that's, that's maybe that's a little too much hyperbole there, but I don't know. It, it's lacking. It's definitely lacking. And another track, we'll talk about that in a minute. I wrote End of Time is interesting. The arrangement is a bit different, slightly. This is the first time we are really hearing Danzig uh, attempting his crooning vocals theory. End of Time. So here's my theory. Uh, and this is about all the songs on Danzig 1. Theory, end of time is written after the musical approach has changed. So remember that first, this is why I read you that thing about Rick Rubin and Rick Rubin focusing Danzig in a way. There's like, I think that songs like She Rides and Am I Demon were written maybe even before Rubin really either was like, you know, seriously working with the band and had really dug his claws into trying to, refine, help Glenn to refine the sound. Because, you know, something shifts incredibly sonically once once Ruben enters the picture. 
but it feels like she rides an am i demon they still have a lot of sam hain in them from listening to this early show and then you listen to end of time and it just feels completely different total theory from a non-musician trying to understand the music and the the song evolution could totally be wrong here um so I read, said, perhaps She Rides and Am I Demon were written early enough where he's still using those guttural Sam Hain vocals. It's possible. Um, but then we hear To Walk the Night. Uh, and I wrote, it's also interesting to note that To Walk the Night is the earliest inkling, one of the earliest inklings of Danzig really shifting vocal styles that would become his proprietary blend of Danzig crooning. That's not to say that he didn't croon in the Misfits, but To Walk the Night is the first time, maybe in a long time, maybe since 1977, that Danzig's really like leaning back into Jim Morrison, which he does on Danzig One, right? Know what I'm saying? Um, so yeah, that's something to consider as well. Um, if you are just joining us for the first time, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Leave a comment. Uh, check out the t-shirts, yada, 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 all that good shit. We got t-shirts. We have memberships now, um, YouTube memberships. If you're not down with Patreon, well, it's more expensive. Um, let me see where I'm at with my, where's my notes? Here we go. Halloween 2 is also lacking quite a bit, in my opinion. Again, Christ doesn't really under Christ doesn't really seem to know how to approach it. That's my feeling. The tempo feels a little faster than when Sam Hain would do it, and it gives it a less menace, less menace and less atmosphere. I think back to 1985 when they're doing when they're doing Halloween Two. You know, uh, Eerie's wearing that Spider-Man shirt, and it's going. Dun, 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 dun. It's just super evil. It's super evil, you know what I mean? And it's just something that that is lost when 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 John Christ takes over. And I would once again chalk that up. I would once again chalk that up to you know John Christ, incredible guitar player, but not a punk player and or not I don't know, just not very like good for some of that Sam Hain sound, you know, for all the slagging that they give, they, you know, they really shit on Damien in the Danzig days. Oh, we need wanted better musicians, blah, blah, blah. But I, I'm telling you, Damien, Damien knew how to play those, that material, man. And he did such a, he, he did such a great job with it that not even John Christ could really step into his shoes in certain instances Glenn introduces mother for the first time and lets us know it's about killing your parents. Different lyrics too, uh, rhyming what sounds like, tell them not to hold my hand, tell your children not to understand. But I think those are like the actual lyrics, but I don't know. Go back, go and listen to this recording. You'll hear it. And I said, but that Christ solo is there note for note. So even that early that they had that solo down as we, we do know that mother was kind of a punk it was kind of a punk song, right? Like it was more punky. I think what I spoke about that with Devil Man when he was on the show. Um, so yeah, the Hunter. 
has a way different unpolished intro. That's the way I put it. I don't know if it's actually those are the right words to use. Again, my my vernacular, my non-musician vernacular, that's the, what I'm choosing to say. The Hunter has a way has a way different unpolished intro. Danzig is back to the guttural Sam Hain vocals. So he's really jumping from song to song. One minute he's doing guttural Sam Hain stuff, and then the next minute he's back to to or he's changed into doing the Danzig crooning thing. Um, after the after Evil Thing, you can hear Danzig sounding a bit gassed. Uh, you can hear him huffing and puffing, which we we hear a lot. You know, later shows we hear that all the friggin' time, man. Like we hear it all the time. Like we hear, oh, oh, hey guys, are you ready for some more? But like, this is when Danzig's like, you know what? He's like 38 years old or something. He, he's working out. He's buff. He's in shape. You know, um, here's my here's my theory. My theory is that is that Glenn is gassed. Like you know the way like boxers get gassed when they you know they run out of oxygen. He's not used to singing these songs live and. He's probably using muscles in his chest to project and, and he's just not used to it yet. Obviously it would be effortless for him later and later it would really damage his vocal cords um, around, around Danzig four is when he really like destroyed his voice from singing like this. Um, I think it was Elizabeth uh, EVB once said something about when he used to sing, even at like the height of his Danzigness that he was projecting he was project. He wasn't using the. He was straining his voice, and projecting instead of just singing into the mic. I don't know something something like that. That's a great show too. The 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 eighty nine Halloween Hollywood Live is a good show. Um, Pete says, I think he said the song is about killing your parents because that is what they would say. That is what they would say during Satanic Panic back then. He was just trolling you. Probably nailed it on the head right there. Um, Chris says, usually producers like to rid most green players, sometime substituted on uh, on, on first records, uh, who think they could wear wear a band down. I guess it's about getting pros to make uh, to make a, a, an efficient the band more efficient for the label. You know, this there is something to this. I'm currently doing a video that's going to come out on the channel, probably through Patreon first, about Ringo Starr and why Ringo Starr is such a great drummer. And, you know, when Ringo first joined the Beatles, they they benched him. George Martin benched him. He would not let him record uh, Love Me Do, uh, the first four songs. They brought in a, a session drummer, in, uh, Andy White. And the reason why they did that was because back then, it was customary that even if, no matter who the drummer was in a group, that in order to make sure that they, they wanted their drummers to be accustomed to a studio environment. And so they would bring in like session players that just played in the studio nonstop. And that is a remnant of that time, perhaps in a weird kind of way. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, let, let me finish my notes here before, I mean, you guys are, I see all these interesting comments, but I'm afraid to acknowledge every single one of them because we're just going to get so off track. I want to keep this going because we have a guest waiting. 
Um, blah, 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 blah. I'm sure that Christ played. Okay, here we go. After Evil Thing, you can hear Danzig sound a bit gassed, which seems unusual for such early recordings. I wonder if the new songs are gassing him in a way that he is not used to. Uh, I wrote, I'm sure, and then they go into horror biz. I am sure that Christ is playing horror biz the way Danzig instructed him to, but I have never dug the Sam Hain arrangement of biz, horror biz. It's a shame that Christ couldn't go for the Bobby Steele style, something that Glenn Danzig probably wanted to distance himself from because Christ could have added so much to it in such a tasteful, transformative way. A third incarnation of horror biz, but in a Danzig style arrangement. And, you know, he's playing, he's playing horror biz. He's playing horror biz in, you know, uh, uh, you know, that Sam Hain way. I'm not a fan of that. It's the song seems almost like, like truncated, stunted, almost as if like, I want to get away from how good this sounds. Um, yes, that is correct. I did shave, Amy. I did shave my face. It was time to get rid of that beard. Um, and, you know, especially when I walk around with masks, when I go inside, yada, 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 and the beard gets in the way of that. It's so friggin' annoying. I feel so free right now. So free without the beard. It's nice. Um, so, so uh, yeah, it's just a shame that, could you imagine John Christ? See, that's something that even though I was saying all that stuff about punk chops, I could still see John Christ adapting Bobby Steele's like way of playing horror business into something sensible for Danzig. And I just think it's a shame that it doesn't work that way. It's a woman's blues song, much like how when Elvis covered Hound Dog back in 56. Interesting. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, all right, let's get back. Almost done with these notes. Last last note. Uh, abs- okay, I wrote this. Absolutely mind-boggling. I wrote this in caps. Absolutely mind-boggling to think that Danzig performed the shift. So much like hearing Sam Hain, the fact that Danzig performed the shift is so bizarre. So bizarre. Another track that Christ doesn't seem to, to get as he attempts to add flourish where there shouldn't be. So it's like the opposite, like just play the track the way it is and don't sort of embellish the way he did so well on, on London Dungeon. But otherwise, a great version. It's, it's not a good encore song. It's really not. The shift feels like something that you would use to transition from a mood in your set list. You're playing these types of songs and then you want to transition into playing these types of songs. But it's not a, it's not like something that you use in the encore. That that's weird. And they start their horror business. The final song they start their encore with that. I find that a little weird, right? Um, then they do trouble, and I said trouble sounds very much like the demo on Final Descent, but with better guitars. A song that they recorded four times in the studio, and it never made it to a record studio recording. Never made it to any of the records. And then the last thing I said was not of this world. The final song that closes it out feels like a secret weapon pulled out at the last minute full, uh, in full form, fully formed sans vocals. So the vocals are still a little guttural, but not of this world just feels like it's just a perfect way to, to close out the show. What's going on, crazy white boy? How you doing? Glad you're here. 
he crazy white boy saw Glenn at Psycho Vegas, and he's just blown away that this sixty-six-year-old Uncle Glenn is just crushing it for um, for you still. So <laughs> no beards are good sometimes. You know, I go through cycles. I grow it out. I bet I do a goat for a while. I do the goatee. Uh, my children don't really like it, and then uh, I shave. And then I feel really fat with my unshaven face and I go back to the goatee because I feel like it elongates my face. Wow. Too many, too many, too many company secrets I'm revealing right now. Um, all right. This is the next part. And then we're going to bring on our guests. I'm doing well. 30, you know, normally we would just be starting the show right now. We're, we're, we're making good time. I don't know what we're making time for. I just figure I want to be more. <laughs> Does the carpet match the drapes? Well, I'll tell you something. Last last personal detail about myself before we move on. My beard is red. You may not be able to tell in the streams. I have a red beard, even though my hair is is dark brown. And yes, yes, it's fat info. P-H-A-T. Oh, man. S. Lee, that's an awesome comment. You guys rock. Yes. Uh, no, the beard does not match the drapes. Uh, I have a red beard, though. It's really weird. I, why am I talking about this? All right. Let's, let's stop. Stop now. All right. Sorry. Okay, so now we're going into, and this is relatively short. Whoa, Chrome does not. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Let's do that again. We're going to our screeny screen, and we're going to this. So this is a website. I can't pronounce the name of the website. Maybe I can. Hold on. Uh, this is from diewolf diewolf.com but it's spelled super weird there's a link in the in the description of this chat right next to all the stuff about patreon t-shirts where you can buy cups of coffee if you're really enjoying this content make sure to like share and subscribe to the channel um we also have uh, youtube memberships although it's better to do the patreon so on this date in city gardens history city gardens was a famous venue in new jersey so many bands came through City Gardens. It's got its own. This is from a, an oral history of City Gardens. I believe there's a documentary out now. So this is April 9th, 1988. Danzig, the band, plays its first show as Danzig. The following is an excerpt from the book No Slam Dancing, No Stage Diving, No Spikes, an oral history of the legendary City Gardens by Amy Yates, Wolfing, and Steve D Die. Dilo Davidico, sorry, Stephen, I'm butchering your name. And that's why it's called diewolf.com. I get it now. All photos are by Ken Salarno. Salarno, I hope that's right. Maybe we can actually see our guest who's going to jump on the show. He's somewhere in this crowd right here. So somewhere. Uh, Amy, thank you so much. Amy has supported with a tip. Much appreciated to you, Amy. Oh, guys, you know what I just realized? Much, much appreciated. Thank you. Um, you know what I just realized? We have not done something that we need to do. We are very undisciplined, and I, I feel like an idiot if we don't do it. Uh, so Jeff is going to talk about the misfits right now. He's a nerd about this stuff, obsessed anyhow. Jeff never shuts his face, always needs to talk. My eyes show some weight if he went out for a walk. Do you think that he cares? He doesn't care. He's out in the ranch. Hey! 
<laughs> How could I forget that, man? How could I forget that? Know what I'm saying? Know what I'm saying? What is this? Five dollars from Peter Shiba Dog writing with a brush, written writing number one on a piece of paper. I don't. What does this mean, Peter? I, I don't understand. Did you? I, th uh, thank you as well, th Peter. Thank you as well, Julie. Um. <laughs> All right, let's let's launch into this. So, so Dan's Aguar, April 9th, nineteen eighty-eight. We had to, we had to do the, the the theme theme the intro theme, super important. Uh, this is Randy. Now it was the first Danzig show ever. Glenn Danzig called me and said he wanted to do their first show. They wanted their first show to be in New Jersey. I knew it wasn't going to do good. I told him it wasn't going to do good, but he was expecting a thousand people. He gave. He gave me all the help he could to make it work, but it just didn't. It was too far south of the whole Glendanzig, Lodi, New Jersey, heavy metal, misfits, WSOU zone. I had done a WSOU zone. It's northern New Jersey, Queens, New York City. That's a radio station, Long Island, you know, but its reaches are limited. It's terrestrial radio. Remember, we listened to that, that interview from 1982 via... Um, the uh, 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 Greg Fasolino's, um, what's it called? Greg Fasolino's uh, incredible archive. I had done Sam Hain a couple of times before, and that didn't do so well either. I think Danzig ended up with 400 people, which isn't bad, but 400 in a place that holds 1,200, dot, dot, dot. Um, Odorous Erungus, that's Dave Brocky, RIP. I got to interview Dave. For the documentary, the Lodi documentary, and you know what? I'm embarrassed to say that I did not do enough research. I did not know that Danzig played their first show with Guar. And so I didn't ask him a single question about that first show, and I could have, and I didn't. And now Dave is another 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 fallen soldier. Gone. Rest in rest in power, Dave Brocky. Nicest dude ever. And I'm just so slammed my head against the wall that I didn't interview him longer and find out more about the show. Odorous says that was Danzig's first show. We were surprised that there was such a low turnout. Ouch. Uh, Tony Retman, City Gardens regular author. Um, I knew what it was. I knew what was in store before Guar played. My brother had their first record and they looked crazy. Those guys were nuts. And you had no idea what they were going to do. You heard rumblings of what their shows were like. And I had an idea of what it was going to be like. But I had no idea what it was really going to be like. A lot of time and effort were into those shows. And I'll tell you, I went to Dave's. So I went to the Slave Pit, which was Dave Brocky's like, work shed place where he has, where he has every, you know, uh, you know, all his stuff, all the Guar stuff was, right? This is about 10 years ago, right? And um, he's given me the tour and every, you know, it's amazing. He has all these giant Tupperware bins full of all the costumes for all the various shows, like Reagan costume from 1980 something, like stuff like that. Like, oh, it's going far back. Um, giant chameleon head that, you know, Dave actually took a picture of me with my 
me sticking my head in. You could you could see the pictures. I think they're on um on the Lodi Facebook page. Um, but the the yeah, for those of you who are not aware, I mean, Guar is they're insane. Their stage show is unparalleled. They take everything that talk about you know we were talking about screaming Jay Hawkins being the first, and we've talked about out we talked about Alice Cooper or, or talk about Kiss. All of them. All of them pale next to Guar and what Guar does on the stage, their stage show. And so that is what they're talking about. Here's a here's a colored photo of of some early Guar antics. It looks like a headless dude here. I'm not terribly familiar with Guar in the way that I am very familiar with the Misfits. Um, Odorous Arungus. We uh, we never would have gone to City Gardens as fans. It was a horrible place. I'm not even sure how we started playing there. I had heard about the venue from other bands and called Brandy up. This is Steve, the author of this book. I'm not even going to pronounce his last name. Steve Dila Dila Vicchio. Oh, I suck. I really suck. Dila Dila Dovico. D Lod Ovico. One of the coolest punk rock experiences I ever had was at that show. Odorous Urungus. That was one of the only time, only times, should I read it like odors? That was only one, that was one of the only times Guar opened up for somebody. But people had heard about Guar. We opened up for Danzig at City Gardens and at the Ricks in New York City the very next night. But after that, we didn't get a lot of calls to open for other bands. People heard that we were pouring shit all over the place. And the shows were so fucking insane that nobody wanted to follow it. So from the beginning, we got good crowd. I can't, I can't sustain that. And it's probably a really bad, really bad impression. Sorry. It's like hurting my voice to talk like that. I don't know how Dave did that. You know, what Dave could have done the, when I went to the, hit the slave pit, I was like, Dave, how do you, he was like, how, he's like, how do you want to do the interview? Should I be odorous or should I just be me? I said, oh, definitely be odorous. So Dave opened up the slave pit just for me. I set up my gear. He got dressed as odorous just for me. I was the only other guy. He gave me a squirt bottle. I sprayed him with water to get that like shiny glisten on him. And then I interviewed him as odorous for uh, uh, about 15 minutes. He, he did not have a lot of time. The fact that he made even a little bit of time for me was, was unbelievable, truly. Um, Randy now says on the Guar tour, the catchphrase was pump and pay. We were in a gas station in Montana and it was like 10 degrees below zero for Guar's tours. They would go South in July and we'd all be sweating. And then we'd be in Canada and Montana in February. <laughs> so we're in Montana where you have to pump your own gas and it's three or four in the morning. This disembodied voice comes over a loudspeaker and says pump and pay. There's a here's a photo of, of Danzig right there. Um, Odorous Arungus. Randy was one of the first huge supporters of Guar, one of the first legitimate club owners that really backed us. I remember for a long time uh, when I was booking the band, Randy was my guy. He uh, he went out with us on the road, too. He wasn't a bad road manager, but I think he missed his postal route too much. Randy now says. No one had ever heard of Guar before. I had actually met them in D.C. years before when they were called Death Piggy, opening for the Meat Men. They were ready to bring up. Uh, they were ready to break up right before I booked them to play Trenton. How about that? There's a there's some early early looking Guar right there. 
Um, Steve says, the Misfits were my favorite hardcore band, but I was too young to have seen them. The story that we hear time and again, right? When I heard that Danzig had this new band and that they were playing their first show ever in Trenton, I had to go. I went with a dude named The Moshing... (laughs) Sorry, I was not expecting to read that. (laughs) Did I pet his cuttlefish? No, I didn't know he had a cuttlefish. No, but he was, man, Dave was the nicest. He was so sweet to me, man. I, I'll never forget. I will I will never, ever, ever forget. I'm just laughing here because this guy, I was not expecting to see that. I he, he, Steve casually says, I went with a dude named the Moshing Fetus. Why would you call the guy the Moshing Fetus? Does he go into the center of the mosh pit and then curl up into a fetus and people kick him around like a soccer ball? What what is with that name? Uh, The Moshing Fetus. Yeah, so I went to the show with the Moshing Fetus. Okay. Um, He was the only person I knew who was willing to drive from Philly to Trent. Ah, that's why he went with the Moshing Fetus. Makes sense. Uh, City City Gardens, of course, had a huge reputation. And the stories we heard over in Philly were insane. No one I knew was willing to chance going there. Um, this is from Dave Brocky. Danzig's girlfriend, for some reason, picked up one of the slave cocks uh, and, and like held it up. She was like, look at this. Suddenly all this jizz dripped out of it and it went all over her and she's screaming Ew! and dropped it. Danzig took one look at it and turned his back on the room and stormed out the door. A second later, his whole posse did the same exact thing. I have never talked to Danzig since then. That makes a lot of sense when when I interviewed Dave Danzi, uh or I should say I interviewed Odorous. He was vet man. He was so cool about it too. Um but that's great. That's great. So 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 she picked up uh Glenn's girlfriend picked up a slave cock. It jizzed all over her. She drops it, goes, ew, Danzig took one look at it and walked out the door. And a second later his whole posse did the exact same thing. Ollie Grind from Crucial Youth. The only speeding ticket I ever got in my entire life was when I was driving to City Gardens to see Danzig. I'll never forget it. April 9th, 1988, I went with my friend who was a total misfits guy. He even had the devil lock down the middle of his forehead. I guess we got too excited listening to misfit songs. And I was driving like 70 miles per hour and, it got, and I got pulled over. That makes a lot of sense. Let me tell you, whenever I have a, whenever I'm about to like, you know, um, do a really intense film shoot, you know, when I was directing my first film, Romeo's Distress, and I was, oh man, hold on, we got to pause everything. Yeet Bitch is here. Yeet Bitch says he's back. Have no fear. Yeet is here, everybody. He just wants to let us know. Um, Motherfucking, what was I going to say? About... Oh, I just lost my train of thought. I just lost my train of thought. Oh, feeling so nervous uh, going into a film shoot. And so what do I do? Drive around, do running errands and blasting misfits and screaming, not belting, screaming misfits lyrics at the top of my lungs in my car. Just what a way to melt the anxiety, you know, off. Um, it just, it just really, really just sort of cut, cuts the tension. So I can understand getting a, a, a speeding ticket. 
Um, the cop says, it smells like dirt in your car. Are you guys transporting drugs? And I said, uh, I don't even drink. He was such a dick. No wonder everyone hates cops. All right, here's Erie. Erie's talking, the Danzig Samhain basis. When we did the first day, so we do get to hear from Erie. When we did the first Danzig show, Sam Hand had been relatively popular, but not huge. In the beginning, maybe 20 to 30 people would show up. Next time we came to town, maybe a few hundred would show up. But for that first Danzig show, we had a tour manager, which was totally new for us. I made up these laminates because we didn't have any and we needed something. That was our first big gig. And all of a sudden, we really thought we were going to be rock stars. The difference from Sam Hain to the first Danzig show, dot, 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 that was a big move. We were lucky enough to do it at City Gardens. There's, there's Erie wearing his, his armbands, pulling on his bass. The crowd is pulling back. Erie fights off, an, Erie fights off enthusiastic Danzig fans. I think we're, we're almost at the bottom of this thing. Tony Rettman, Guar opened up for Danzig and fucking completely blew him away. But it seemed that nobody else in attendance knew what was going to happen during Guar's set, and they really didn't like it. All the skinheads were mad because they got fake blood all over their Fred Perry polo shirts. Uh, they were doing the whole wall of death, which I never understood. It was, it was like that at every Guar show. All the skinheads were, would get pissed off. I thought, don't you fucking get it? Are you really this fucking stupid? Your shit is going to get messed up. If you know this, why do you keep coming to these shows? Ollie Grind says, we got there. And I was so excited to see Danzig. And then Guar comes on. And I thought, who's this? This crazy band comes on with these costumes and blood and all this crazy shit. And it was so awesome. The other thing about Guar was the hot chick on stage. Dudes were trying to grab her and she kicked them in the face. Yikes. Oh my, oh my God, look at this. They're, they're literally pulling this poor girl off the stage. At least that's what it looks like. Tony Rettman says, at one point I was standing on the stairwell off to the, off to the side of the stage and I had bought something, some out of that, and I had bought some new Nikes the day before and I got all this fake blood splattered on it. But I had already been planning on taking the sneakers back because they hurt my feet. I took them back and the lady opened the box and there's, Blood splattered all over them. She probably thought I had killed somebody and was trying to get rid of the evidence. Ollie Grind says, I wonder how many people went to that show. Uh, bleh. I wonder how many people went to that show with Misfits and Sam Hain shirts and got blood on them because they didn't realize what was going on with Guar. And now all those shirts, I, I wonder if that makes the shirts more valuable, right? Like, does that make the shirts more valuable? It's like, this is a Sam Hain Misfit shirt, but it has Guar blood on it because Guar opened for Danzig. I think that would increase the value of the shirt, not decrease it. If it was just like getting ketchup on the shirt, it would decrease the value. But you're increasing the value by having Guar pus all over it. Alex Franklin, this is a City Gardens regular. I don't even remember Guar playing. I was there because I wanted to see Danzig play Misfit songs. Everybody was amped up to hear Misfit songs. I don't think anybody gave a shit about his new songs. I will say this. I will say this. I'm going to sneeze in two seconds. Excuse me. So many allergies. I was out of the country. Now I'm back in the country and I'm dealing with allergies and it sucks. Steven says, I figured Danzig would just be a continuation of Sam Hain. And to an extent it was, but it was more heavy rock than punk. 
it, it kind of sounded like the later stuff from the Cults. The first record wasn't even out yet. So a lot of us didn't really know what they were going to sound like. However, I would say uh, this first Danzig show sounds very much like Sam Hain. Here's a hot take for you. We all know what the last Sam Hain show was, but if you consider Chuck Biscuits and John Christ, who both have played on Sam Hain recordings, to be the final members of Sam Hain, then in a weird, backwards kind of way, perhaps the first Danzig show is actually the final Sam Hain show. Everybody's like, no, no, shut up, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Truly. Um, <laughs> that, that, that's really stretching it. That's really stretching it. But I mean, it's possible. I mean, think about it. Again, you, have, you, you haven't listened to the tape recently. If you go, go listen to the tape when, you're done, when we're done with this broadcast, and you'll, you will agree with me, it's very Sam Haney. You could really almost say that this is the final, the Sam Haney show. So, um, and yeah, and you can hear, I forget which song it is. There's one song where it just seems like the, you don't hear any crowd talking. Actually, you hear some boos. You hear a few boos. You hear some people go boring in the audience recording. You hear somebody call out for bullet. You know, some people are not totally receptive. I don't know. We can ask our guest about this and what he remembers from that night. Erie Vaughn says, usually you don't want to go and play shows if you don't have a record out because nobody knows the songs. I don't know why we got so big before we even had a record out. Hmm, I wonder why. Because you're in a band with Glenn Danzig and you're riding off the cloud of both Sam Hain and the Misfits. Maybe that is why. I mean, that's the thing about Danzig. They're not starting over. They're they're basically transforming uh, as they as they surf up the, off the success of what came before it. Sam Hain is riding high from the clout from the misfits and Danzig rides high from the clout of Sam Hain and the misfits. You know, it's just, it's compounded one on top of the other, just like that. Um, perhaps this is even why, I mean, this is look at, look, Christ the conqueror never went anywhere. They just couldn't, they couldn't uh, cut it as a brand new band without Glenn Danzig. You know, they needed the name. They needed that friggin' name. Uh, there, there could have been a bunch of publicity before that. It could have been that Glenn had a new band. A lot, a lot of it could have been the Misfits legacy. That happened a lot, and it used to piss Glenn off. So here he's talking about that and saying that that's the case. Of course it's because of the Misfits legacy. Of course it's because of Metallica. I mean, uh, it was a few years after they broke up, and he was like, where were you when we needed you? And all these magazines started paying attention to Danzig, but all they wanted to ask Glenn about was the Misfits. And you can hear countless interviews. You can hear countless interviews where, not countless, but there's a couple of interviews where Glenn, especially that Ricky, Ricky Ratman, where they're in, they're on tour and it's, um, it's, they're on tour and they're in, in Germany. And he's just like, look, he's like, he's like, look, you know, nobody wanted to ask about the Misfits when the Misfits were around, and now it's Danzig, so don't ask me about the Misfits. That's why he was so grumpy about the Misfits for so many years, so much resentment, because he saw the greatness in his band that nobody could would see for, for, the, for a few decades, you know? Um, 
And now all they want to do is ask him about the Misfits. Alex Franklin says, here's the thing. You know Glenn Danzig portrays a particular kind of image. He's got one video where in every other scene he's flexing his muscles. He's got this whole way of putting up his arm and flexing. He was not in shape. He was wearing his leather pants and he had a gut. He couldn't zipper his pants up. So his pants, <laughs> his pants were unzipped and undone throughout the whole show. Steve says, Danzig got a hard time from, from the crowd. I had heard these legends about how Glenn was notorious for fighting with crowds. I kept waiting to see it go off, but nothing happened. Now I do, well, I'll leave it to the guest at the guest's discretion if he wants to explain certain things, not, not for me to say. Um, but yeah, but Glenn is, I mean, look at the Channel Club. Look what happened in San Francisco. Odorous says, I do remember the crowd actually chanting Guar during his set at one point. I'm sure that didn't make him very happy. So that, while I did hear some boos and I did hear some people saying boring, boring, um, at the same time, I didn't, there was nobody chanting Guar on that tape. So I don't know. I, I don't know if that's true. Ollie Grind says, Danzig opened with Twist of Cain that night and they played a few old Misfit songs, Sam Hain songs, which we love. Actually, they opened with Sam Hain. Alex Franklin says he was trying to play to the females in the crowd. The whole thing was so funny. He was trying to act cool and act like Elvis. And his fucking pants are undone. He has this gut and he's wearing this tight shit and it looked ridiculous. And he never played any Misfit songs. He did play some Misfit songs. And, you know, that's, that's Glenn, man. That's Glenn. Just doesn't give a fuck. Gonna wear whatever he wants. Let it all hang out. I wish I had. Glenn's bravery that he has, you know. Um, Steve says they played a hybrid version of Twist of Cain and as well as London Dungeon, which made the entire night for me. I didn't care what else they did. I had heard a misfit song. Erie Vaughn says, one of the reasons we used to hang out after shows and sign autographs and takes and take pictures was because if you didn't meet people, you wouldn't remember the gig. You go from one place to the next unless something happens or unless there's some kind of event during the show or after the show, you don't even remember it, especially after you started playing theaters and every everyone is kind of the same. You go from place to place to place and you never really see anything. You just get up and play and leave. Um, there's a great shot of Erie with his unholy passion base and Danzig really tearing up at the crowd. The crowd looks like it's having a good time. Um, Steven says, my whole existence was dependent upon meeting Glenn Danzig. I, uh, I waited out in that little side alley, one of the scariest places I've ever been. And after hours of waiting, he finally came out. He was very cool. And it was the only time I ever asked anyone for an autograph. He signed my bad misfits bootlegs and told a few old punk, old school punk rock fight stories. I wore a standard punker biker leather jacket and underneath the cruddy drawn, the crudely drawn crimson ghost I had painted on were the words evil never dies. Yeah. Uh, Glenn saw this and signed my super shredded rock jeans. Evil is Glenn Danzig. That's awesome. Coolest fucking thing ever. Easily the best night of my life. Here Vaughn says, we would stay in places for hours and talk to people. We'd go outside and hang around for hours. People would come around and I would do my act, talk, make people laugh, hang out, sign stuff. We did it. We all did it. Chuck Biscuits, Danzig's drummer, wasn't that big on it because he didn't feel like a rock star. 
I mean, he's been playing since he was 12, so he didn't really feel comfortable with all that. Sometimes he would just sit on the bus and we would pass things back to him to sign. Glenn still does it. He just has a little bit more security. Um, Bob Gorman, Guar historian, says, I remember Bishop, our bass player, coming back with a lot of fun stories about Glenn. We had we always idolized him. He mentioned how they were real rock stars and standoffish towards Guar. He also said that they didn't like the stage prop dicks or anything like that. <laughs> Odorous says, we were in the dressing room after the show and Danzig came in with his girlfriend and his little posse. They all kind of stood in perfect line behind him. His girlfriend, for some reason, picked up one of the slave cocks. Oh, that's the same quote. She held it up. She was like, ew, look at this. Okay, so that actually happened at the end of the show. That was like a highlighted thing. She dropped it. Danzig took one look at it, turned his back on the room and stormed out the door. Second, the whole boss did the same thing. I never talked to Danzig since then. And here is the 15-year-old uh, No Slam Dancing co-author, Steve, uh, out back of City Gardens after the Danzig show. And here's Danzig signing for him. Where is Danzig? And here it is. Click below to hear Danzig's full set. So check it out, you guys. Oh, you got to click this to hear the audio. If you click this, it'll it'll bring you to the YouTube. Definitely listen, give this a listen. Uh, it's a really great version of this recording. I've heard, I've heard like, I've heard, you know, other versions, as I said, and they're just inferior. All right, we're about an hour in. We're doing really good, I think. That would have taken a lot longer. We would have really waxed poetic. On to the next thing. So now we're in the interlude here, small little interlude. I got to do a little bit of a change here. I'm going to switch our hats real quick. I'm going to put on my Robbie Bloodshed hat because ah, Robbie sent a care package. And not only did Robbie send a care package, but so did our, uh, well, our guest didn't send it, but his bandmate did from Pyrith, can never pronounce this. You're going to have to correct me. Um, John, John of Doom is our guest, people, and he's going to be coming on in just a second. John, why don't you hop in the, in the green room, in the digital green room. I'm going to open this sucker up. Pyrrhic Victory Recordings. So this came to me while I was out of the country. And then Robbie, Robbie sent, sent a little something, something too. So let's take a look at both of these things. I don't know what we're, I don't know what we're in to see here. I'm going to do that. So the reason why John Voice of Doom is our guest, John of Doom, is because John was at the show. He was at the show we just talked about. He was right there. And I, I believe he sent me a picture somewhere. There's a picture of him at, at that show. I don't know. John John will confirm as, as to whether he was in any of those shots we saw. Okay, so we got some bubble wrapped goodness. I'm guessing this is some sort of seven inch, and I'm giddy with excitement. Let's take a look here. We got the nice, we got some bubble wrap. Oh, I know what this is. Oh, oh my God. This makes me so fucking happy. I can't even tell you. I can't even tell you how happy this makes me. All right, so let me explain something. So we've been doing this for about a year now, okay? We've been doing this for about a year. And, um, you know, I've met so many people from, from doing the show. Like, I don't know any of them. Like, I've just met them digitally, right? And freaking, you know, this guy comes into the, he comes into the chat one day and he's, 
his name's Tony. And he's going, <laughs> he's going, yeah, man, I was at that, that Irving Plaza Halloween show with Bobby Steele. And I'm going, holy shit. Oh man, you got to come. Let's, let's have you on the show. So a week or two goes by and, and, and you can hear the episode. It's somewhere on the channel. Tony comes on the show. It's, it's at the beginning of things. So I had him on, on speakerphone talking into the mic. It's very crude. And of course, Tony is featured in 1979 as well because of that. And Tony told me about how he had a band called Secret Subway. They had a couple of recordings. They never put them out. At the same time, our guest, John of Doom, I call him John of Doom. Uh, he has his own moniker. I, I, he's going to have to refresh my, my memory on it. But I call him John of Doom because he sings for a band called Boys of Doom. And, and he and Tony met each other, I guess, through the show or at least just whatever in the chat or something. And one thing leads to another. And they get to talking about how they're going to put out Tony's recording, which we played on the show. The secret, It's called Secret Subway. And that was his band in 1979. And the recordings had never been heard. They had never seen the light of day. And then all of a sudden, he, he sends me the recordings, so we play them, and, and, and John heard them, and whatever. They, they get hooked up. He could tell us more about that when he comes on. He's, he's waiting right now. I just want to pop this up. Look at this. Beautiful. Nice, glossy 7-inch. This is available from their shop, I believe. So we got a, a fold-out here. I love this, man. Secret Subway and Renegade this Saturday, June 7th, the Galaxy. Look at that. We got some liner notes. We got some liner notes right here. And I mean, it's just, you know what this is? This is just lost punk that has been archived with such care. You know, they, I got to tell you, the, the, I, the uh, Pyre, I can't say the name, Pyrethic Records. I'll be corrected in two seconds. They, they put such cares. Ah, look at this. I've been thanked. I've been thanked. I didn't even see this. I've been thanked on the back of the, of the vine. <laughs> Dude, I'm so honored. I'm so touched. Um, that's so cool, man. That's so cool. I'm so, this is, this is in a weird kind of way. This exists as a, a byproduct of doing the show. This record exists because these guys met and, and put this together. And I'm so proud of all the parties involved. Let's take a look at the vinyl right here oh and it's colored vinyl i can't wait to listen to this look beautiful red vinyl right there glorious man absolutely glorious and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna link we'll put a link we'll put a link in the description if you guys want to check this out check out some voice of doom as well um and we'll put a link in the description so you can check that out and then the last thing i want to do john has waited so patiently i'm going to do one more thing here we got to get our, our, our friend Bob, our friend Robbie Bloodshed went to the trouble. Friend Robbie went to the trouble of sending an, a care package. Robbie likes to send these from time to time. Do you have a care package you want to send me and pimp and plug on the show? Feel free, man. Feel free. And we'll, we'll put all the appropriate links in the thing. Oh, my God. Let's, I don't want to show my address. Let's, uh, oh. Stuff is coming out. Look at this. We got we got Robbie Bloodshed. This looks like a this is a sticker of some kind with the Robbie Bloodshed moniker right here. We have ah, oh, I love it. Look at these picks, man. Robbie Bloodshed guitar picks right there. It's great. It's like the little mutant one thirty eight guy. That's awesome. More buttons. 
We got some buttons. I love doing unboxing stuff. It is fun. Robbie Bloodshed buttons. Feline Fight. That's off the new album. By the way, the new album is great, guys. Look at that. Lodi High School. Love it. Uh, the new album is awesome. I gave the cabin a listen on Spotify. I didn't even tell Robbie that I did. He sent me the record, but I wanted to listen on Spotify to make sure that he got the uh, the, the track, whatever, the, <laughs> the, three, the three pennies. Um, uh, hopefully it boosted him up in the algorithm. It's it's awesome, man. It's just the dude, dude never stops evolving. He keeps out. He's out there grinding. Here you go. Don't lose your head. That's cool to put all the, the names of the songs. And here is the cabin. This is available. You can get it at Robbie Bloodshed's Bandcamp. Check it out. Make sure to, to pick this up. Pick up both of these. Pick this up, guys. These are independent DIY artists putting out really cool shit, man. They put a lot of fucking love and care into these releases, but they really give a shit about what they are doing. Okay, so go and check it out. Like I said, I'll put links in the description. I don't. I want to keep the show going, so I'm not going to hunt for them. I should have had it prepared right now. I'm going to keep the show rolling. We'll, we'll put it in the description. Make sure you check it out. All right. Enough is enough. Let's bring our guy in. He's been waiting so patiently. Here he is. Oh! Hey. Hey, there he is. Here I am. Uh, oh. I'm jealous. You're jealous. I got I got, uh, I got that Robbie stuff. I ordered the, the record. It's a great CD. Um, but you got that 138 Cyborg pick. Robbie, I need one of those. Robbie, you, you, you hear, you hear, you gotta, you gotta hook this guy up. You gotta hook this. This guy is, is, is meticulous archivist. You should see his, his digital album artwork is, is phenomenal. Top, top notch, um, uh, Photoshopper. Hook him up with a pick. Here we go. You gotta get this pick. Let's take a look at that pick one more time. I'll get it from him eventually. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. That's great. That's really, really great. John, welcome to show. I just want to say, so John has been here. For as long, he's one of the OGs along with like Rue Morg and Russell Casualty, John of Doom. Um, I, I didn't, you know, I was not, Voice of Doom was not on my radar until I sort of digitally met John. And, you know, I want to hand, I want to hand it to John because he's done something that I, like, I didn't think was possible. This dude somehow covered, successfully covered Wolf's Blood by the Misfits. I don't know how he did it. He, you know, every anytime you ever hear somebody try to do Wolf's Blood, they just can't. Like nobody, there's nobody on <laughs> earth. We've all read the Danzig lyric lyrics. We've all tried to sing along to the song when we're driving in our car. You can't, you can't do it, man. You can't freaking do it. But John actually does it. He really manages to cover it without it doesn't feel like a ripoff it doesn't feel it feels like you somehow figured out how to do your own vocal arrangement tell me about the process yeah that's uh, that's one of the harder misfit songs to cover too you know very chaotic as you know one of my oh favorites my but uh but john uh see that's the confusing part i'm i'm john there's also john Steele, the founder of voice of doom uh so people refer to me as Heim, but you can call me john that's fine he, uh, uh, we always go back and forth about what's our favorite Misfits record, you know. I mean, huge topic, as you know. <laughs> but he, uh, he's a big fan of Earth AD. And, and 
as we all are of all of them, you know, but we always go back and forth with that. And he's like, Oh no, we totally got to cover something off earth. AD. you know, we're voices doing, we got to be really heavy. I'm like, sure. Fine. You know? So, um, the approach was just, um, you know, I, I know that stuff in and out and a big fan of Glenn's vocals, just tried to, you know, pay homage to that, to his style. And, uh, you know, I get a little close, you know, but uh, and I, ma- I kind of made it my own, I guess. I'm glad you like it, and hopefully it'll be on the soundtrack. So we'll, we'll 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 talk about that. I'd like to talk about that with you off the air, but yes, that oh, is okay. my intention. Yes, <laughs> yes, that is my intention. All right, you guys I like didn't hear that, that very much. Yeah, yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about that later. But um, yeah, it's there's you know what it is. It's it's you 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 find a way to you're super considerate of every lyrical syllable yeah. and fitting it in a way it's like, you're, you're so not focused on trying to, you know, so many people that cover the misfits, they try to sound like Glenn. You're so unfocused. And, and this is a good thing I'm saying. You're so not interested in trying to sound like Glenn when you're doing this, that mm. you successfully and tastefully can like verbalize every lyric and syllable in a way that you have the only successful person to cover that song. I can't, I've never, and it's, there's not a ton of covers out there, but I, I was so impressed that really truly floored me in, in your, in what you get, were able to do. It's, it's, you sh- it really should be a feather in your cap. It's that's. In, Thanks like, man. It's that, it, that's embedded in our brains. You know, I mean, we yeah. didn't have to rehearse that one. You just showed up and knocked it out. He makes it sound so effortless, and he's wearing a Screaming Jay Hawkins shirt. So it's the shirt. Let's see the shirt. Huge, huge Screaming Jay fan. That that video you did on him was top notch. That was great stuff. I I can't take the credit. I just compiled it because that was just. I, you know what it was like? It was just a remix of things that already yeah. existed, and just trying to pay tribute to Screaming Jay. Um, I love Screaming Jay too. I hope that I hope that you know I've been kind of writing something about Screaming Jay. I don't know what will happen with it, but um, I, I'm very he's he's so inspirational and it hadn't really been done before though. You know, like a sort of documentary style for him. So it was really nice to see. Or have, well, if there know, is a documentary, archive. there is one thing that you should check out if you haven't seen it. It's called and it, I took a lot from it. It's in there. I put all the credits at the back end because mm-hmm. I. Had, put it in there. It's called, I put a spell on me and it, it came out the year he died in the year 2000. And for anybody who wants to really um, sort of get uh, an understanding of screaming Jay and his personality, that's what you really need to check out. So this is from my, my buddy Robert's uh, store, uh, Adam age industries. You could purchase one there. I'm sure. Adam age industries. And that's yeah. adamageindustries.com. I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Check that out. If you're into Screaming Jay. Misfits, so, Dam's shirts, he's got a, and they're all like custom, you know, unique designs. Um, so when did, so first of all, so when did you get involved with Voice of Doom? I always knew, uh, John and I grew up, the other John, John Steele, together. He was in Hackensack, I was in Little Ferry, and we always were aware of each other. Uh, was uh, My best friend growing up was in his bands. Uh, I would see him at the McDonald's, you know, type of thing all the time. So we had a uh, sort of a relationship, but um, so I would see voice of doom. I knew John through that and my friend Mike, uh, 
so we became super close soon after that. Uh, we would both see Sam Hain at uh, City Gardens, and John and I would uh, try to think. Uh, where was I going with that? <laughs> Sorry, know, just how, how you got in, how you how you got into voice of doom? But I didn't. Oh, you're right, you're right. Oh, so I, I I just became a huge fan, and I would collect. I had stuff that John didn't even have. You know, I had. He, he was like, "Oh, you have that record? I don't even have that record." You know, like. Uh, so, because I was so familiar with the content, and we had been, in, we would eventually be in a, a handful of bands together. One day after I uh, had kids, and you know, I thought I'd never play music again. He he came to my apartment and said, I'm thinking about getting Voice of Doom back together. You want to be the vocalist? And I was like, sure, who else is going to do it? You know, I know all the material. And, so, and that was uh, 2014. And we've been doing it ever since. That's amazing. Um, yeah. Tell me about, wait, so I did not know that uh, you went to, tell me about going to Sam Hain shows. Well, tell me, well, hold on, hold on. What, how did you get into, when did you get into the Misfits? So, Growing up close to Lodi, you know, that, that band was on people's in conversations. You know, we knew there was a band nearby. And uh, I had an association with Halloween and them, you know, but uh, and I had a, like a duped cassette of Walk Among Us from my friend Dave, who would say, you know, I was a huge Kiss fan. My, my whole uh, area, Littlefer, were a bunch of huge Kiss fans. But my friend Dave, who was the punker of the group, would always say to me, oh, screw Kiss, come come see the Misfits, you know? And I'd say, oh, I don't know if my parents will let me go to, I'm 14, I guess, you know, in 81. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> wow. But I, I wish I, you know, I would have, of course, that's, you know, people say they don't have any regrets. I mean, that's, I have nothing but regrets. <laughs> that's, and that's a big one. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess I, I'm assuming it would have been like an Irving Plaza show, you know? And he would, you know, he was my age or maybe if he was 15 and he would, go see them all the time suicidal and you know he would tell me about all these shows and he was in a punk band in bergen tech uh and he was very friendly with john Steele, a voice of doom so there's that connection again you know like so uh so I, I just had walk among us for the longest time uh i would eventually uh my friend kevin was a huge sam hayne fan and i didn't even i remember not making the connection at first i didn't even know Glenn's name per se, you know, it was just like, there's the Misfits and then there's a Sam Hain and then one day it clicked and uh, he would drag me to City Gardens to see that show, my friend uh, Kevin. Uh, and we I showed up late. I remember being, we were like drinking all day. It was before I got sober type of thing. <laughs> we won't go there. But uh, so you can imagine when finally the summer of uh, after Sam Hain and our buddy London gets booted from the from the group. I would right. learn, uh, you know, the Lesson Zero soundtrack came out, and I was totally floored with that. I was obsessed with that song. And, oh, uh, what a track! And I emailed you a, a shirt I had. You know, in between in that time, there was like a crude Danzig logo with his likeness on it. Like no one knew exactly what was going to become. You know, we didn't know it was going to be called Danzig at the time. But yeah, Did when it all seen. Would you guys like sit and talk and be like, well, what's gonna what's it gonna sound like? You know, trying to like figure it out, or was there was there any sort of like wonderment in that kind of way? Yeah, well, all we had to go on was the power power and the fury orchestra. You know, what the hell is this? Wow. And uh, and because the production was so good, unlike anything he had ever I had ever heard from him before, 
I was like, wow, sky's the limit now, I guess, with this guy, you know, and uh, his notoriety now. So uh, I wasn't missing the show for, for anything. You know, I, I had become a huge fan in that span, you know, of, say, the last Sam Hain show to the go, getting up to that point. And uh, that's why I was right in front of the stage. I was holding the stage. You know, I was I was going to get as close as possible. And it was phenomenal. Were any of were you in any of those photos? By the way, yeah, that you were. Yeah, I, I, wow. yeah, I circled them my my head. <laughs> you know, it was oh, like I said. I, yeah, I could not, I could not be not in the front. You know, like that was not going to happen. I, that's how obsessed I had become in with in a couple years span. Um, real quick, I just put into the chat. If you want to check out the Tony Matura seven inch or anything else off of the off of the label here, uh, you have the link right here in the, in in the chat. I'm putting Robbie's in as well. You can go to Robbie's Blood, Robbie Bloodshed's Bandcamp right here. Easy clicking. Support the independently created music here. Um, it is not easy to be an entrepreneur in this day and age. Holy crap, my computer is freezing. This is terrible. Okay, there we go. Um, okay, so what was it like seeing Sam Hain live? So you finally did, you didn't get to go see the Misfits, but you're like, I am definitely going to go see Sam Hain. So tell me about no, that. No, that wasn't even the, the attitude, really. It was, uh, I was aware of the Misfits. I had my friend Dave LaBelle telling me to go see them. He, he would show me slam dancing to uh, like... Uh -huh. Mommy, can I go out and kill tonight? You know, but that was the extent of it for a while. Didn't really know the connection at, at the time. Uh, you know, my friend Kevin would tell me it's the Misfits. It's kind of like the Misfits, you know, so I really didn't have much to go on at the time. Uh, we were late. I was in the all the way in the back. You know, I wasn't going to make that mistake second time around. So uh, you were reading that article and people had a lot of some people had negative things to say, but, uh, and I could see why, the, you know, I remember some moans, uh, you know, people shouting out, like you said, bullet and stuff. Like, I remember that yeah. stuff, but, but he didn't wow. disappoint. I mean, that, that was virtually a Sam Hain set, you know? So I got everything right? I wanted. Yeah. It was phenomenal. Right? Yeah. The, the new stuff was, you know, when, whenever you hear a, a new song you've never heard before, you're always kind of like, you know, you need time to process it. Of course. But I remember, I remember thinking, Oh, that's not really Sam Hain, but it's, it's heavy. It's good. You know, I, I'll wait for the record to let it soak in a, a bit more. But, you know, he had Sam Hain songs in between all the Danzig songs. So he kept everyone interested. Yeah, I don't you know, I don't think people were that angry. <laughs> I, now, people were very you, pleased. Now, do you think is is it like am I far off in saying that he's sort of singing the Danzig songs like they're Sam Hain songs like he's still yeah. doing that? It's so weird because yeah i agreed with that yeah because you know so 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 at some point after that show or after whatever a, a couple of shows because the, the record comes out in august right and then he does that interview with greg fasolino in october or something that we all listen to that you know again which is like the, the best interview ever because it's glenn when he's super relaxed he doesn't think the recording is ever going to be played. He just thinks it's for an article. I mean, he doesn't think it's going to be on the internet 30 years later. So he's like so candid in, in talking. And what I'm trying to figure out is like at some point, maybe at some point in the studio, it's Ruben is just like, look, you got to, 
you can't do that guttural thing anymore. Mm. It seems like he's conflicted because like half of the time he's doing it. And then on some of the, and again, I have this so fresh, I wasn't there like you were, but I have it fresh in my mind, having just listened to a a very, very good recording of the entire set. And um, it just seemed like he's sort of straddling these, these two worlds, even though they're Danzig, you know, it's, it's an interesting era. Yeah. You know, I'm guessing having a pro like Rick Rubin around and, and the time to, to get stuff absolutely perfect, you know, uh, and him maturing, just getting that much better. Right. Uh, was just, it, it all came together at the right time. You know, it's a flawless record, I think. What is it, what was it that captive, you said the Halloween thing. How, what, what now tell me about the shift into Sam Hain, because Sam Hain is like a completely different animal than, or is it as easy as, is it as easy and effortless as there's a finite amount of misfits and I love anything Glenn Danzig. So I'm going to very easily jump into Sam Hain because that's what there is to listen to. Yeah. You want my opinion of the progression there? Yeah, or, yeah. I mean, yeah. just what your your thoughts and feelings, or what what, what uh, made, you know, how were you feeling about Sam Hain at that time? And uh, when my friend would turn me on to it, uh, you know, there was the recognition that it was the Misfits guy, um, and me thinking, oh, this is different, right? So each band, he got, you know, he matured, and uh, uh. It, it was you know darker, slower. I was just reading an interview with Erie how they asked they asked him that question and he said and, he, and his answer was perfect. It was they got slower, darker, and uh, more real, you know, uh, as as opposed to like comic kind of comic booky type right. uh, subjects. You know, he got so it was darker. It was it's great. I mean, the Devil Lock got really sick and full, right? As opposed to. A thinner yeah. version. <laughs> it got very yeah, paganist. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember. It was a werewolf devil lock. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this. What, what, so, so something, I don't know if you want to talk about this. You don't have to. I'm, I'm giving you an out. I'm giving you an out. Yeah. Did something happen? At the, at the show, at the uh, at the Danzig at the Danzig show, was the, did you have a? Did you get to meet Glenn? Did you get to meet to Glenn or have any interactions with Glenn at all? I met no. I did go to the uh, New Rochelle show, which was uh, a few months later, maybe half a year later, and uh, that's literally right next to me. That's yeah. Like, uh, Streets was the club, right? I had to look that up. The name of that. I I don't know the name of the club, but it just blows my mind to think that Glenn Dan- that Danzig played in New Rochelle is weird. I had kind of an in because my friend who I grew up with uh, would move in with Chuck and John because they and we would all rehearse oh, at Zounds in Saddlebrook, so it was a you know close knit community type of thing. Wait, but, so you uh, were right there when Danzig was rehearsing and stuff. In the building, you know, and you could wow. you know listen through the door, you know, what? But, uh, type of thing. <laughs> that, wow, that's like that's a detail to sort of bury. Holy shit, that's yeah. like crazy. And uh, so Rick, Ricky, there when sorry, Ricky, uh, Ricky Didimo would work at Zounds, and like he would eventually do sound for them and stuff. So uh, and I was friendly with Ricky, and uh, so my friend 
actually moved in with John and Chuck, so I, I would hang out with them a couple of times. And um, so that's how I would get backstage at uh, New Rochelle. Wait, so you hung out with John and Chuck? Yeah, yeah. So what was that like? What is So what's John like at that time? What's, uh, <laughs> what's Chuck, are they just, what do you remember? Uh, I don't know how much I should say, but uh, no, they, they were uh, friendly, a little uh, judgmental, you know, uh, about things I would bring up. Oh really? I, I don't. I don't know if I want to throw anyone under the bus. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I <laughs> and there was always drinking you. involved. You know, it was, it was yeah. interesting. But I did hear. Gotcha. I will say, I heard a version of Less Than Zero that is nothing like the one you know. Shut up. I'll just give. Uh, and I'll. This is like, yeah. This is like. Uh, I don't think anyone really knows about this. But um, so if he starts off like you and me, right? Picture. You and me. That's how it starts. Like what? in the in the demo version, I would listen to, you know. So I mean, that food, I always wanted a copy, but I could not get my hands on it. <laughs> but so it you're doesn't, telling me does it exist. doesn't start. It doesn't start like soft, like you no. and me. It starts you and <laughs> you like, and me. Starts right off. Wow. On, to, on ten, you know. Yeah. So they, you know, obviously they made that change, which I. It, Probably for the better. Rick knows Probably what he's doing, right? <laughs> Probably for the better. But, you know, doesn't that lend to the, like, notion that, like, anytime we think we know what's, like, exists or what's out there, mm. like, that there's just probably so much that that they don't even think of as, like, tr- tr- trinkets and treasure that, you know, that there's just so much out under the surface. Yeah that will probably never see the light of day because they don't think of it. I mean, just think about the fact that there were misfit songs called infant stranger and lullaby. And like Glenn never thought to ever even say a goddamn, none of them, Jerry, neither. No, nobody like they just don't, they just didn't give a shit. Like it just, it it boggles the mind. You know, know, when somebody said the uh, night of the living dead video just wasn't good enough. Or, you know, they, they looked at it and thought it looked corny or whatever. Maybe that's a good enough reason. You know, it's your art and you, you want it to be presented in a certain way. But, you know, we would both love to see it. I don't care how corny it looks, you know. Oh, my God. But it's that type of thing. Probably for those same reason for those songs. He just didn't think they were up to snuff. Well, I mean, he said he talks about that in the Greg Fasolino interview as well, where he says he's like, you know, I write. And who knows if he's speaking in hyperbole because he kind of does that sometimes. Like, you know, who knows whether that's really true, if there really are for every 10 songs, I'm only picking two songs. But there is definitely some merit to that idea when you think that when Glenn, Jerry, and Manny started out, they had something like 27 songs written or we're working with 27 songs. And then when they're doing the third live show, four, four or five of the songs are, are lost songs lost to time. Like it's kind it's just really crazy to consider. And much like the first Sam Haynes show and much like the first Danzig show that, that show the, the 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 arrangements are slightly different. That's what that was the best part about going back to this city gardens recording was realizing, holy crap! You know, all this time I like never bothered listening to this recording because I always thought it was a crappy recording. 
but this better version is like, oh my God, like these versions of these songs are slightly different. And he's singing them. It's an extension of the back end of Final Descent from 2001. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. You could have included that as a bonus disc on that Sam Hain box set. It would have made sense too, Mm. in my opinion. You know? Yeah. Um, Pretty, pretty, pretty wacky, wild, neat stuff. Yeah, I I almost just knowing that the you know uh, harpies in the night and west end avenue is out there somewhere like you we know someone who has that stuff unlike the uncle floyd video which probably we'll never never ever see but uh, just knowing some of that stuff is out there maybe one day you know but here's the thing though so apparently so maybe the song i heard was not harpies in the night it might have been a song called drive me mm. Because when I asked Stevie Lynn, who was in a band with Glenn, I asked him, do you know any of these songs? Like I asked everybody. And Stevie Lynn, he said to me, he said, sing like harpies in the night, in the night. He just did that. Hmm. Like he he held on to that for that many years. And he has no reason to lie. He has a dude in Florida. So it makes me wonder, did I actually hear, was that another song just called Drive Me? But then when I listened to the Drive Me song, it, I, you know, from what I can remember from it, it sounded like he was saying Harpies in the Night. So I assumed, I believe Manny said it was, I don't know. In, in any case, mm. in any case, you have to think that there are so many Danzig rehearsals that have been recorded, yeah. like that Night of Hate demo that are, exist out there with songs that, that they also threw away. And that are just like, oh, only exist because of that demo tape, you know. And I think London plays on those, right? Yeah, London was on a bunch of that stuff that would be on the first record, yeah. It's crazy. It's yeah. really crazy. So I didn't know that. So so you're, you're kind of like, in a weird kind of way, you're, you're what I like. It's kind of like what I call Forrest Gumping, <laughs> which is like where you're just always kind of like in the background of like some like, like important time, like you're at the studio when Danzig is refining the songs, you know, even if you're like next door or whatever, it's still pretty crazy. Yeah. Hanging out with, with Chuck and, and John uh, at your friend's apartment. And do you, I don't know if you want to talk about this. You don't have to, if you don't want to. Did you, did you spend time with Jerry only and Doyle at all later on? Or am I mistaken about that? Oh, John and I would audition. We'd go up you to the Vernon audition. House. Yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. That's what, so. What was that like? The uh, other side of the coin. They're coming back. What you saw that the advertisement in in the paper somewhere. Or you just knew that they were doing that. No, uh, no. I had a, a friend who knew them and said that's what was happening. That he, Jerry was just having people come up. You know. Yeah. And he arranged it. So we were like, "Fuck yeah!" I mean, I can curse, right? Yeah, of course. Okay. <laughs> Fuck yeah, you can fucking curse. <laughs> And uh, that was a great experience. It was fun. I, I we went in thinking, you know, there probably wasn't a, a good chance that we would get the get. You know, in retrospect, I'm glad I didn't. From all the hate that, uh, that, <laughs> that, that version got. Whoa! But, <laughs> yep. But um, uh, yes, we had a yes, we had a blast. Loving. I'm oh. sorry, I didn't mean to talk no. over you. Say that again. No. no, we we had a blast, and Jerry couldn't have been nicer. You know, he gave us posters and stickers and. Uh, he recorded our session and gave us the tape and yeah, uh, he did. They all, that was like, a yeah, thing. You'd go there and you'd audition and you get a tape when you were done. There's a picture on, on the voice of doom Facebook page of John playing, playing Doyle's Iceman before uh, Do- really? Doyle walks into the room. And, you know, you know, I remember thinking, I don't know if you should be doing that, but uh, Jerry was okay with it. 
Oh, but, uh, I think that was. I think that I think you posted that in the group. I think I've seen that. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, um, and, uh, that's that's awesome. <laughs> and I remember uh, we didn't know that they had chosen a singer or anything at that at that point. But I guess Graves was chosen, and he was just still trying to feel out if there were any anybody better, you know, coming along. Yeah, I feel like he was always just. Uh, from my understanding, it seems like that he was just kind of like a second banana. Like they're like, we okay, mm. we got this kid. But is can we do better? And then they real and then it was Peter Steele who finally was like, just use the you know use the kid, you know, and you know because here he is teaching him how to do the songs, and he has the epiphany. You know what? He he knows the songs that better than me, and he should yeah. be the one that does them. Towards the end of the jam, uh, I remember he walked in, and you know I, I didn't know who he was, but I remember you know looking back, I, I realized who it was. Wow! And he wouldn't make eye contact with me or John. You know he was he looked pissed. You know, like who are these guys? You know, this is my gig. You know, type of. Well, I mean, that's the feeling. Around, yeah. I can't listen. I as you know, whatever my feelings are on Graves, I can't. I, I definitely can't. Um, uh, I, I I could empathize with that situation. Oh, totally. Yeah. No. Right. Frustration. <laughs> yeah. You you want you just want. It's like it's like being in limbo, and not only being in limbo, but like the fear. It's the fear of possibly having the floor fall out and be like, oh, you know what? We actually found another guy that we'd rather. Right, right. Yeah, no, I so, I empathize. <laughs> yeah, that's not that's not easy, but um, that was a great experience. Yeah. yeah, what a great. Ex- so you've yeah. jammed with Jerry and Doyle on Misfit songs too. I mean, you've done yeah. you've done some pretty cool. Those are pretty cool little as at least as as a fan, as much of a fan as you are of this stuff, and you've gone. Tell me about your passion for sort of archiving and, you know, you do some stuff. You're really good with Photoshop. And did you do, by the way, did you do the layout for the um, the, the other seven inch that you sent me with the, the Swamp Song? For oh, yeah. Your, yeah. You did. You did the layout and the and the, the Photoshop for all that. Yeah. Not the illustration, though. That was uh, not the illustration, he, but you did yeah. the layout and everything. Yeah. And for uh, t- Tony's record, too. It's great. It, yeah. it really, it's, it's phenomenal. You have a, you really have a talent and a knack for that as well. And, um, you know, just, just seeing like all the little, like when you did that Sam Hain, all the different vinyl colored vinyl, Oh yeah, <laughs> you captured my yeah. imagination. Yeah. The, yeah. I archive everything. I, you know, John from voice of doom will tell you, Oh, he's Heim's got everything, you know, like I never throw away anything at a, not that I'm a hoarder, but it's all, it's all quality stuff, you know, as you can see. Uh, Evil time. Evil time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's still, it doesn't, it doesn't, I, I guess, I guess John Steele should be John of Doom, but you're just John of Doom to me. I can't. Yeah, that's it. fine. Just, yeah. <laughs> he came up with that, that name for me. I don't know. I'm oh, not that what, evil. Oh, evil Heim? Yeah. Evil Heim. I guess I can be evil. But... <laughs> hey, listen, I, 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 gave myself a nickname which is the most uncool thing you can, it's better that someone gave you a nickname because it's super uncool to give yourself a nickname i decided to call myself jeffrey murdergram like half jokingly of course oh yeah you know it, it's like someone has to you have to earn a nickname someone you you have a different nickname every show i do i have a lot of, i have a lot of monikers a lot a lot of monikers i like to you know and you know what's funny i ultimately settled with my last name you know, it's funny for years and years and years, I try to be always trying to be something else. Uh, you know, I, I, I thought I took the horror business logo and I made vi- I don't know where the hat is video business media. And I yeah, realized 
well, it's great. The logo looks really cool because you can see what you get the joke. Totally. When you look at the logo. But what, what's not great, John, is when you look at video business media in plain letters anywhere else, like oh. an email, like a Gmail address. Mm. Like it just it, it only works with that logo. And so yeah. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. it's really stupid, actually. It's like the, one of the dumbest things. And finally, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to be I'm just going to be from us. That's who I've always been. Everybody always calls me from us. From us. So it's from us. It's my last name. That's what you do, right? With the punk rock stuff anyway. It's like, yeah, like what the, the, the Danzig thing. You, you just sort of do your, you just do your last name and that, and that's it. So, you know, yep. just be who you are, right? Be who you are. But you have a, a great eye. Your aesthetic is going to be great for the, for the movie, for the, which everyone's so. waiting. We're waiting. Well, I'll tell you, it's a long, daunting process. I can only imagine. It's a long, and you know, I'm about involved. to start on the, yeah, I'm about to start on the Manny interview. I digitized all, I thought it would take me months to digitize the tapes. That took me about a month. Hmm. And now it's just, it's trying to do the YouTube thing full time. I got two secret projects that I've been working on and then doing uh, logging interview tapes. Cause you know, what you're doing is, you're you're watching, you're watching the tapes back, and then you're trying to take sound bites and go. Okay, this is a hor- they're talking about the horror business area. Okay, going to put that in the horror business timeline. This this could be Static Age. Okay, putting this in the Static Age timeline. Oh, they're talking about the town of Lodi. Okay, in the Lodi mm. timeline, and you're creating these timelines that are hours long, and then those need to be basically trimmed down to. 20 minute reels i think if hopefully if all goes according to plan um but i have i have some you you saw my plan i have lofty i have lofty pragmatic realistic ideas but they just take time and i'm in no rush so so but i you know if you are and i'll i'll, I'll throw this in as a shameless patreon plug john knows john is a patreon and I salute John for all his support to this channel. And he's just been such a, a good support and, and, and really a, a pillar of our, of our Lodi Facebook community as well. And a great moderator. Um, if you are a Patreon member, a YouTube casualty Patreon member, you will get to see sound bites and outtakes of some of the stuff from my footage um, stuff that is never going to make it to the documentary, but just so much interesting little tidbits i figured like why leave it on the hard drive so it's going out once a month on the patreon i'm pulling stuff from the the archives do a little commentary on it as i do because i never shut the fuck up (laughs) talk a little bit and 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 put it out there on the patreon so check out the patreon check out the memberships it makes no sense to do the youtube memberships you shouldn't do the youtube memberships you should do the patreon that's what makes sense so there's my little plug we're kindred spirits, you know, I mean, especially during the pandemic to have almost on a, on a weekly basis, you know, a Misfits Sam Hain content to listen to, oh, you know, I, when you can't leave your apartment, you know, you really filled a void for us. So I, thank you. Hey, that is that really those words, you know what, those words, along with the words. And again, I feel like I talk about this every show now, so it really shouldn't. But I just will this one last time, <laughs> just about like the hearing, hearing stuff like that and hearing like, oh, you know, I listen to you while I'm at work and it makes my work go faster. When I was yeah. in a soul sucking job that I got laid off from, I, I just would listen to tons of podcasts that did the exact same thing for me. 
And to think that I could be that, just me talking could be that somewhere else, it's very rewarding. So I just want to say thank you for that, truly. And I, I'm done blowing thank you. smoke up my own ass. I just, <laughs> had to, I just wanted to say that. Um, but so tell me what are, so you're putting out, oh, fuck, we got to talk about the lyric video, people. Um, so there's a brand new lyric video. What is that on horrorpunks.net? I think it is, right? No, uh, or is that it's on, on the, the 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 Pyrrhic Victory Pyrrhic, Recordings YouTube channel? I yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's that. how you pronounce it. Pyrrhic, I said Pyrrhic, Pyrrhic, and a Pyrrhic <laughs> victory is where you fight a battle and you may win, but it's a Pyrrhic victory if you if you cause so much damage or burned burned the fields so to speak of your of your own right am i doing a really bad job of explaining no that, i think that's yeah that's pretty accurate yeah right and and you basically you basically burn your your own your, your own stuff to the ground in in pursuit of trying to win a war that's what pyrrhic victory is and it's from greek shit yes or something oh yeah neon knees who's in Neon Knees is in friggin' New Zealand, and he's they're on their second lockdown right now. Mm. So I'm really glad that could fill the time. We got Rue Morgan in the house, friggin' another dude who's been here since the beginning. Huge support of this channel. Can't thank him enough. We got a lot of supporters of the channel. I'm really grateful for you all. Uh, hold on. We're going here to the... Oh, what? I didn't know there's a Tony Matura friggin' video. To... Is this a video, or is this a... Yeah. Is this a video or is this a lyric video or is uh, it just it, an audio? It's, it's it's just the audio, but there's some movement, I guess, in it. Oh, okay. So check this out too, people. I'm going to put some of this stuff in the in the links. Please go to Pyrrhic Victory Recordings. Go subscribe to them. They're cut. They're putting out lots of videos. They got, I mean, a pretty regular schedule of a video per month. I would say it seems something along those lines. And they've got a bunch of artists on the label. Tell me about the label. I want to know more about the label. It's my buddy Joe. He's the bass player in, in Voice of Doom. Uh, so it was easy to get signed, <laughs> if you want to call it signed. But it was all me. I approached Joe about Tony because I said, this stuff has right. to be pressed, you know. Uh, right. That record isn't sure. the actual 79 recordings. Those demos will be released at some point. But he re-recorded all those songs. Oh. So it has so it has an up to date sound, you know, and uh, but really those songs, cool. yeah, they, they sound retro anyway, you know, with a state of the art, you know, recordings. Uh, well, I really can't wait to hear that as well. Um, I'll definitely be spinning this when I have my next record playing session. The record player is currently upstairs at the moment in my wife's office. But man, um, that I did not know that. I mean, I, I just think it's so great that you like. It's like you saw this like long lost punk stuff and you wanted to sort of you saw something in it and wanted to see it come out in, in some sort of official way yeah i think that's great so this song is called night tide everybody i'm gonna i don't really you know i got in trouble the last time i played your music if i'm being honest really the, yeah i got i got tagged hold on let's here's what we'll do i'm gonna play the video but i'm not going to i just i just put it in the link in the in the in the chat there so you can see it hold on my uncle link. glenn took one of my videos down last week oh did he wait yeah what video did he take down of yours uh it was one of the bootleg series you know i put all the bootlegs yeah. live yeah, bootlegs did, up 
those <laughs> covers, dude. Those covers yeah, are yeah. sick. Yeah, just to make it kind of fresh and new, that stuff, you know. But I wanted it all to live in one place, but now one of them's gone. And that, I, I, I assumed, oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, my OCD is like, well, no, you know, but uh, I assumed that they would all come down eventually, but it was just the one he flagged. And I, I forget the, the coast of. Uh, I wonder if it's a warning shot, like, a, hmm. like uh, uh, just to let you know instead of because why wouldn't he take down more you right know? yeah yeah That's maybe, like, maybe i shouldn't have uh, <laughs> i know i'm sure I, it's not glenn himself it's you know his guy you know it's not probably got glenn himself I, yeah. I think i think he has um he has people that help him in that department and you know it's just glenn's understanding of that's how glenn you know <laughs> that's how glenn <laughs> understands the world yeah. that's how we're going to put that you know uh, hold on, I'm putting this in the link if it'll in the in the in the chat if it'll let me, and I'm gonna. There we go. Let's see if we can see a little bit. Now, tell me, you what made you decide to write a song about the movie Night Tide? I'm a fan uh, of the film. Uh, Curtis Harrington directed that, and he was a bit of a, an occultist. He was a like a disciple of that Alistair Crowley, which was not- interesting to me, and he. Uh, he casted uh, Marjorie Cameron, who was a uh, she's like a witchy type artist figure, bohemian, uh, living in Pasadena at the time. She was married to the rocket scientist Jack Parsons. Uh, that's a whole involved story, but um, a whole a whole nother ball of wax. Yeah, yeah. So when he befriended her, he's he and being heavily into the occult, he had to have her in his first film. Or one of his first films, and this is Dennis Dennis, Dennis Hopper. Hopper's first film. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I I'm I'm ashamed to say that I have attempted to watch this movie several times because I do 31 uh, horror movies for 31 days of Halloween uh, every year. But it's really just watch as many horror movies as I can in the month of October, which was very easy uh, as an unemployed person this last. Uh, this last Halloween, and I always attempt to do Night Tide, and for some reason, I always fall asleep, and then I always move on to another movie, so it's a movie <laughs> that I've never finished, and it really bothers me. But uh, here we go. Here is the video. Now, you, you did you edit this video? Yeah. And you did the lyric. It's, it's hard to do lyric videos, man. It's not, you got to time it up and everything. It's yeah. not hard, but it's like, you know, it's, um, it's involved. It's involved. Let's put it that way. You got to make sure everything lines up. Not my, not my personal. I, I've, I've attempted to do it a few times, and it, it requires patience and and focus. The vinyl record for the song is being pressed right now. It'll be it'll be out by Halloween. Congratulations, Miles. I'll send one over. Uh, tell me, is thank you. Tell me, is uh, are you doing different colors of vinyl? How are how are you? Uh, uh, it's just purple right now. Uh, uh, that's fucking different color vinyl. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, if we ever repress it, I'm sure I'll add another color. Well, I mean, that's what you do, right? If you're, right. If you're able to sell sell out of pressing, which is like an accomplishment enough, then you earn the right to change up the artwork and change the color and press it differently because, you you know, that, that allows you the second bite of the apple and the secondary market of people who are going to want the, the collector mentality. And for some reason, we're all 
were hypnotized by colored vinyl. What is it about colored vinyl that does it for you? I know it's like candy, right? Yeah. It's like candy. It just like you, it's like you have to, it's like you, you look at it, you look at it through the light, you watch it spin around, you get hypnotized by it. I don't know. Um, in terms of your collection, what are, what are some of your rarest pieces? Like, what do you have in your collection? That's just like, Holy shit. Like uh, crazy. I was thinking of what could I show the viewers and, uh, being ah, a, he came prepared. Well, yes. being, being, being a friend of London, you know, this, it's not a huge deal, but uh, he gave me one of the original uh, Sam Hain armbands. Hold on, let me let, let me put this up. Like, hold on, I can't see you. Now, he has skinny arms, so it was kind of small. Let me see this. But wow, so was, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he mailed that to me after he moved to uh, L.A. That's awesome. That was nice to have. Uh, and then I was saying I was hanging out with Chuck and John for a while. Right. Chuck, um, I was cleaning uh, <laughs> this private high school classroom yeah. at the time. Yeah. And I told him, you know, there's this art class. I could probably get you anything you want. So he came up with a list and he drew a little sketch there, <laughs> Chuck. <laughs> yeah, look at that. Of things he wanted. Yeah. I, I don't think I fulfilled his complete list, but there's that. But you uh, held on to the list. <laughs> of course. And the uh, the new Rochelle show, I I made sure to get the set list off the stage. So that was oh, right in front great. of Glenn. Let's see it. Let's see what they played. Yeah. Did they? Oh, oh, look at that. Wait, wait. Oh, wow. You're blowing my mind right now. So the set list is roughly the same. Look at that. Yeah, it wasn't. They, it was yeah, like sorry, six months ahead. after the City Garden show. So the set list okay. was kind of the same. Yeah. Look at that. Wait, they have. Okay, Sam Hain. They played Sam Hain again. That's so bizarre to me. All hell this time. Let the day begin. Oh my God! They, you got to hear possession live. I am so jealous of you. Not, not, not of this world. Wow! Amazing, amazing, amazing. And, and the other thing I remember from that show, going backstage and talking to Glenn, he, uh, <laughs> my buddy has a Gene Simmons tattoo on his arm, and yeah. I remember Glenn poking fun at it. He went, Gene Simmons, you know. <laughs> my friend kind of got like. Got <laughs> yeah. Wow. That was pretty funny. Wow. Oh, so you have gotten to meet Glenn. That's great. Yeah. That's he fun. he would pull up in front of the apartment when I was hanging out with my buddy to pick up uh, Chuck or John and go somewhere. Uh, another thing I remember is uh, when they moved to California, the Passaic Bookstore, probably heard of that. It was a really good comic book shop with lots of horror comics and stuff. And I remember the I don't know how true it is, but the owner told me, he's like, yeah, all these uh, eerie publication magazines, Glenn dropped them off before he moved. And I was like, really? So I, I remember I grabbed a bunch of those, not knowing it, wow. it, it was truly Glenn's, but, you know. Probably. Yeah. I mean, why, why not just keep it in his parents' basement, you know, whatever. But maybe he needed the money. I don't know. But there's wow. that story. Yeah, I mean, that dude yeah. had a that dude had a ton of stuff. That was cool. You know, when I when I had Damien on the show, I was like, I was like, I've never, I don't know if I ever asked anybody, like, what was the basement like? And he just like to hear him talk about yeah. what the basement was like is, you know, I don't know. It's just really, it's like a legendary basement because it's like so much cool shit happened in that basement, you know, like you, you just, it captures your imagination in the same way that, you know, the town of Lodi captures your imagination. There's like, you go to Lodi 
and it's just a town, dude. It's just a Bergen County town. Like, there's nothing, there's nothing like, I mean, there's cool stuff in it, obviously. There are cool stores, and but it's the idea that this is the town of the misfits and that this is where all this shit happened. Like, all the cool stuff happens in your mind yeah. when you go to Lodi. Yeah, yeah. You know? My first like apartment I, was in Lodi. But, oh, really? But not for any other reason that other than the it was the cheapest place I could find right. at the time. Right, right. Um, uh, you know, Sal B used to live on Grove Street, right down the street from yep. Gary and Doyle. So it was like every time we do rock and roll cooking with Sal B, it was just so cool to be. I always made sure to drive by Jerry and Doyle's old house and see the sea on the gate and just think like that. You see the pool house there. That's where they rehearsed. We have to get that monument erected, that statue. It's got to happen. Yeah. yeah, the petition is still up for anybody who wants to sign it. Uh, <laughs> I just thought that would be a fun. I was like, how many signatures can we get for that? Um, it's really, I feel like it's really hard. It's a hard thing to do, but yeah, I, I figured it would be a good, you know, a, a good like uh, talking piece totally. to sort of talk about. I don't know how, what, how many signatures it's, it's on right now. Maybe I can. Let me see. Let me see. Let me, let me look it up. And see How hilarious would that be, out. though? You you ride into Lodi in the center of town, and there's a, a monument. I mean, no one's ever spoken about this before, and it's just kind of like, I just feel like we need we need come on, misfit statue Lodi. I mean, they did it for RoboCop, but that took years and thousands and thousands of dollars. Here we go. The petition's right at the top. Guys, go check out the peti- the petition at change.org. I'm not going to put the link in the thing because I I don't think we've got okay 322. Let's see, it's still loading. Sometimes it takes a while. Is that it? Like okay, 322. Out of it says let's get to 500. Um, but I think that's pretty cool to have that many people um, sign up wanting wanting a statue. What do you I think? It'd be fun. What would the statue look like in your mind? What's oh, the statue? Right. I would, well, I think it would be just Glenn, Jerry, and Doyle. Glenn right. in the middle, you know, doing one of these. Yeah. <laughs> and and maybe, the you know, Doyle and Jerry have their guitars, you know, on the outset, you know. Right. The three main guys, you know. Right. Because I saw this, I think it was in the seventh house I saw this. It's like someone made a comment under or something else and was like, because we never acknowledge the drummers. Meaning like it's always it's always just it's true. It's always just the three of them, and then the Crimson Ghost behind them. The drummer doesn't exist. It's just it's like the band is doesn't have an actual drummer. Yeah, you'd you'd have to throw the Crimson Ghost in there too, behind them. Yeah, it would be behind them. That's what I envision. Yes, yes, yes. It would be behind them. But you go to Lodi and you just get that. And so I like what I'm hoping is because I interviewed a lot of people from Lodi. I did. I spoke to. Benson from Cardi Sugar Bowl, who went to high oh, school yeah. with Jerry's dad. And wow. we had a great conversation. And I spoke to Darlene, I think her name was. She was Doyle's first girlfriend. She works at Hank's Frank's. So I spoke You're to right. her. Um, <laughs> I spoke to Frank from Lodi's Pizza, who I recently saw again. He did not remember me at all. <laughs> I mean, not that he not that he should or anything, but it was just funny because he saw us, we were we were shooting a little pizza punk thing outside and he came back outside and was like, wait, are you at the sleepy hollow? Whatever. I was wearing a sleepy hollow international film festival. I, I live right next to sleepy hollow uh, about, about nine minutes away from sleepy hollow, which is also super fun yeah, and super spooky. And like, you know, again, that's like our Lodi in a way, mm. 
you know, up here in Westchester. Um, I'll never forget. I'll never forget too. I had that same feeling just going to the Ukrainian home. You know, I used to spend one, you know, when I was in my twenties, we'd go to New York city, you know, this was like when, you know, I'm sure that anybody from earlier eras like would say, Oh no, like the New York that you knew is not the real New York at all. It's New York was already gone by then. But the New York that I knew was, you know, the, the final days of CBGBs, you know, like that, that time, the continental still existed. Um, and I'll remember, I remember two things that really captured my imagination in regards to the Misfits. The first one was actually partying at the Ukrainian home mm. where I knew that they had played in 79. It, you know, it was right there. I think it was on third street and it's like a second Avenue, right? Maybe second. Yeah. yeah. Third third street and second avenue is it that far I down maybe yeah i, I, I walk by it a lot there and yeah it's there it's there and you and that is the place that's the place where they played and i always just kind of like blew my mind and then another thing was i saw there i don't know if it's it's gone now but on saint mark i think it was saint mark's you know between um uh third 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 avenue and second avenue on saint mark's right yeah i'm getting my streets and avenues confused um, there was a Misfits Fiend Club stencil that had been spray painted on a rusted door. Mm. And you know, I just like, I would always look at that thing every fucking <laughs> I was there down there a lot. I'd always look at that thing and go that like somebody did that. Yeah, yeah. Somebody from that time did that. And it captured my imagination to no end in that same way that Lodi would capture my imagination. I walk by Ir- Irving Plaza all the time. I walk by where uh, Max's was by Union Square. And I always, you know, said, man, if I was just two years older, you know, like that small window at the time that really, uh, we would uh, drive by Glenn's house, his parents' house, and, and just to look at the, uh, the hearse in the driveway, you know? Wow. <laughs> like fan, fan voice. Yeah. 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 On cinder blocks. I mean, but that's what it's like. You know, it's like, I mean, people, people walk by the house I and mean, people take, photos in front of the the la house you know oh yeah with the big chain and you know the bricks are still in the front yard and i gotta (laughs) tell you you know i was thinking about this john i was really thinking about this i'm going in my mind i'm going if i need one of those bricks yeah if i ever go out there (laughs) that i will fucking legitimately risk scaling the fence to get me one of those bricks to actually own right one of danzig's bricks (laughs) and anybody else in any kind of fandom, would look at you cockeyed and go, "What the fuck do you want a brick for?" Like, what? Glenn like, no, could put a, a certificate of authenticity with each one. You know, he could sell them, get them off his front lawn in no time. Oh my god, <laughs> these are Danzig's bricks. <laughs> the 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 one the num the numbered one thirty eight. The brick that is numbered one thirty eight <laughs> is the holiest brick. <laughs> it's the holiest brick in all. Oh of man, yeah, <laughs> like That'd be awesome. Oh my God. Like it would just, you know, in the same way that people collect dirt from Evan's cemetery or whatever, like the, or the dirt from the plot where the farmhouse was for night of the living dead and people mm. cherish it's this, you know, it's so interesting how the fanaticism is no different than religious fanaticism. As you know, I was just in the middle East. I was just in Jerusalem, you know, and we were in the market and you walk around the market and it's like here, Oh, stone. This is stone or this is oil that was rubbed on the stone where Jesus's body was prepared. 
And like 2,000 years ago, mind you, like people want oil that's taken from a stone. Mm. And again, this is not a judgment on those people. Like if that's what you do, like fucking like more power to you, like like all the love in the world. I just want to put that out there. This is not derogatory. I'm just saying, I'm just trying to draw a parallel to the idea, the concept, the notion that it's no different than some of the fandom where people are like, they want to feel connected to that thing in the same way that you want to feel connected to your higher power. What, you know, if your higher power is Jesus Christ, whatever, like you want to feel connected to that thing by having something that's authentic from that time, you know, it connects you to that thing that you love so much. And so the idea of dancing brick. <laughs> I'll tell you something funny at, at that city gardens show. I was yeah. so in awe, you know, like totally geeking out fanboy. And uh, right. I don't know what came over me. I swear this happened. Yeah. He, he was just right in front of me. I was just looking at him like, Holy shit. This guy is like amazing. Right. And he, and I, I was compelled. I grabbed his boot, the toe of his boot. <laughs> And I was like, what the, f- like, what am I doing? You know, like, and I remember looking up at him like, holy shit, am I going to get kicked in the face like that guy from the uh, Gore Girl? Right. But uh, he just smiled. You know, he was probably like, he's probably used to that shit. And I was just like, wow, that was kind of weird for me to do that. But that's amazing. Was, he smiled at you? Yeah. He was just, he, he was peering right down and just had a big grin on his face. He's probably like, yeah, I know, you know. Hold on, hold on. I got to, I got to acknowledge this. Dagger love, I can't, I cannot come to your deep so guys dagger love one of our patreons and a big supporter of this channel big shout out to dagger love he's doing a dj set uh on the fourth during labor day weekend i will be in virginia at the genre blast film festival our film beyond the green hole has been nominated for best what the fuck midnight movie and another film that i I directed a segment for the transformations of the doctors jenkins has also been nominated for Midnight Feature. I will not be around, Dagger. I'm so sorry. But please go check out Dagger's DJ set. He is going to play where Eagles dare. I said, I think previously on another episode, that I think Dagger Love, I would imagine that someone would come up to Dagger Love when he's DJing, and <laughs> and they'd ask for Flock of Seagulls, and he would respond by going, yeah, sure, and then play where Eagles dare instead. For whatever reason, Um, I could just imagine that. Um, I actually just pulled up the article one more time because I want to see if we can find you in the pictures. You said you were in the front. Let's see if we can actually spot you out. Um, Hold on. Because I know you did send me something in my email, and I didn't fucking – I should have taken it and had it prepped for the show, and I realized I didn't. Let's see if we can remedy that. I want to see if we can see out there. Hold on one second. And you see the thing? Is it coming? There it is. Yeah, that, that one. My you're, face oh, is... Oh, you're in this photo? Yeah, dead center. That face That's sticking you? out. Yeah. That's you? Yeah. Look at you. Is that your hand? Uh, n- that's your hand reaching up. Uh, like no, this. no. No, that's the girl next no, that's to, to my right. That's her hand. Oh, that's the girl. Yeah, okay. I yeah. got you. Yeah, look at you. Yeah, no, that's your fist right there. I see it. Hold on. This sucks, dude. It's It's not... I can't... How can I zoom in on this maybe? Or, or I don't know. I know what we'll do. No. You know, in, in my notes, I have uh, I wanted to tell you that there was, I remember I was eavesdropping on a, a couple of girls who reacted to Erie's look 
because I was expecting, you yeah. know, I wanted to see vampires, you know, and here comes Yuri with the right. long hair and the, and the one girl's reaction was, oh no, what do you, what do you do? You know? And the other girl was, oh, I think he's hot, you know? So it was a kind of a mis mixed wow. reaction, but yeah, I was a little disappointed. I wanted friggin' shaved widow's peak Yuri, you know? Right. <laughs> we you didn't know one Dracula. knew what to expect. You wanted the Dracula thing, but look sure. at you, that's you right there. Look at that. That's so cool, man. Um, all right, this is a Guar. Did you, oh, well, let, let me ask you about that. So did you, did you get there early enough to see Guar? Yes. So I was right there up there. Are. That's was you again, the, right there. Right of the Look stage for Guar and left of the stage for Glenn. But uh, so the yes, the, the, the guy next to me, who I did not know, was groping the dancer's leg. Yeah. And she looked at him and kicked him oh square in the face with her high heels. I, I remember, th I just awesome. thought, holy shit, you know, like, and I, he just went down and uh, she just went on dancing like nothing had happened. I thought, wow, this is She's getting out of hand. But, uh, I mean, used to craziness. He deserved it, I guess. But uh, aside from that, yeah. they, they saturated the, like the porous ceiling tile with, uh, you know, green slime. So they, and red, oh you know, blood stuff. So it was all saturated on top. The floor was covered with uh, ejaculate, you know, uh, pina colada <laughs> stuff. So everyone was Amazing. slamming in the pit and they were all falling over themselves, slipping on this pina colada stuff. The whole place reeked of pina colada at the time. I remember so the smell like of- coconuts. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember for Glenn, for Danzig said, I remember being so cramped that I could smell, you know, black hair dye and leather, you know, like that was the- wow the smells I would, I was experiencing for that set. Um, that's amazing. That that's amazing. And it's, isn't it, doesn't smell bring you back. Oh, like, totally. It's the, it's the, uh, even more than music in some instances. Like yes. Time machine effect. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. So there's, he's pulling his bass back. What are the, everybody just was grabbing on his bass. <laughs> Here we go. He was grabbing at the dancer or girl. Jesus Christ. And, and I just I mean, found I the that it was just all like, yeah, rock and roll. Yeah, I guess. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I just found the audio for that show uh, within the last year. And I would always tell everyone, well, I remember, like I said, I was excited over the Lesson Zero soundtrack and uh, Chuck started to play it. And you could hear it on that audio, which I had, hadn't heard since then until a few months ago when I downloaded it, where uh, he starts playing the intro to Lesson Zero. And he stops, you know, and the whole crowd went, oh, you know, and Glenn says, uh, fuck your shit all up, you know. So I thought Wait, we were going to. Is that at the beginning of the entire set? No, like it's like in the middle somewhere. Oh, man. I was Glenn's, out. I Glenn's getting like a drink of water and, and he, he did that. But I remember wow. the crowd just going, oh, you know. <laughs> um, That is. I mean, that's crazy. So you had, so I wonder if you probably listened to this recording already that I've been talking about. It's probably, the, it's on YouTube, the one that you, you got a hold of? No, I found a, a torrent. <laughs> really? Yeah. I, you know, I'm sure it's got to be the same recording. I, I really suggest you listen to it. I wonder if you will think if the fidelity is better or hmm. worse. Um, question. Did so? Did, did people come out and clean up the stage as much as they could before Danzig would go on, or was it just? I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I don't direct. I don't remember exactly, don't remember but that. but I do re remember 
I can't remember if it was, no, it was definitely after the whole show was over, leaving to go to the car and glancing back at the back of City Gardens, the entire wall was covered in spray paint guar, four huge letters. I mean, they must have gotten on their tour, tour bus and, you know, spray painted the, the whole length of the building. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And I, I just, yeah. I remember thinking, man, those guys do things in a big way, you know, from the game show that they had on stage and the right you know, big penises. And I mean, it was nuts. It was really sloppy and nuts. Uh, so crazy. Yeah. Um, Chris, the answer is yes. Yes, the audio of the show is on YouTube. That's where it's on this article. So in the description of this link next to the Patreon and all the cool T-shirts that are available, um, you right below that, you should be able to see a link for this website, and that will bring you to the YouTube audio for said show. So definitely friggin' check it out. I, I It was really great to sit and, and listen to it because I hadn't heard it in years, as I said, and it just sounded much better. And I just want to say, John, what you were just talking about, the spray paint, also reminds me when we were reading about uh, San Francisco um, after the, the incident that they they broke into some science facility, the Misfits, broke into some science facility, stole a bunch of skulls, and then spray painted, like, fuck you, you know, F-words, F-A-W-E, Double G O T S, something like that, on the sidewalk. Oh, something wow. like that. Some, 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 you know, uh, ridiculous uh, uh, terminology at the time, and made off. And it's just like the idea that the that the misfits needed to steal a bunch <laughs> of skulls and then curse out the town itself. Like nobody in particular, just the town. They just <laughs> well, they told us, you know, they want they want all the skulls. They want it's true. They want they want all the skulls and they're not gonna stop until they get them. And yeah, it's I, I know you've said in the past you don't like uh, the misfits being referred to as the punk rock kiss, you know, and uh and I understand why. But I will say leaving that show after seeing war, I thought now that's the punk rock kiss because of the how huge the stage show was, you know. Right. Right. I mean, it's not that I, I, I don't know. I feel like, you know why, you know what it is? It's not that I don't like it. I just feel like it's lazy. I feel mm. like it's like a lazy way to box the misfits in because while the misfits were theatrical to an extent, it, it, it's, they weren't theatrical on the stage. Like they didn't, the misfits yeah. didn't no, have it was a subtle. stage show. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. You know, they did some things like when they would do the Halloween show that was more theatrical and you know, when I used to ask people questions that like in my interviews, I, and maybe it was just from, it was from naivete, actually. I just didn't know. I would always ask if the mystery for theatrical was such a waste of a question because the answer is not, not really theatrical. Not really. Like you think they're theatrical because you look at their album covers and you go, holy shit. Like this is, I think Sean Garrison said it. It is, it's like punk Warhol pop, pop art these these covers you know we look at them we don't look at them as album covers we look at them as artwork that yeah. we want to emulate over and over we try and and incorporate their aesthetic i mean robbie bloodshed does a great job of that look at robbie's you know robbie does it constantly in in a wonderful way you know 
this album here, you could tell Robbie wants, he wants to have that kind of aesthetic, but yeah. he wants to do it in an original way. And he does a great job of that. I he think does. truly, you know, I mean, look at the, look at the back with the, the font and everything. It has, it has the feel, you know, without gutting, I call it gutting where you take the mm. artwork, you gut, you Photoshop over the stuff. Like I did here with the Jeff Frumis thing, you, you gut it and you re refocus, you repurpose the things, the letters, like the last, this is the business. The end of the business is the E S S. And I was like, great. My last name's from us. That's perfect. I just yeah, yeah. fabricate the from, and that's perfect. what I did. So it's, you know, it's in his handwriting, but this is to me, this is so much cooler because it's not, not cooler, but I, I just wish I, this requires more resources. This is not as easy to do as this. You'd think this would be harder. This is easier. This is the, the lazy man's way. <laughs> we hope to play a show with Robbie one day. That'd be great. That's great. You should. I, I really think you should. I, I think that would be awesome. That would be a cool bill. You can get Tony in there, Bowery Electric. Yeah. I don't know. Let's Why make not? it happen. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I got to tell you, I'm really pissed. I was supposed to see the Pixies at the Capitol Theater, and um, it was going to take my wife. And it was, I haven't been to a concert since 2019, December of 2019. So I was like, I saw the Pixies were playing. I was like, we have to fucking go to the show because it's like such a perfect bookend mm. of this period where like, I literally, I haven't been to a movie theater and I haven't been to a live show since, well, since 2019 and March of 2020 through a movie mm. theater. And I'm actually going to break that for the first time this weekend. I'm going to go see Death Rider in the motherfucking house of vampires. And it's going to be my first movie back in the movie theater. Yes. I can't fucking wait. Jealous. I, I, I listen, I got to, I missed out on, did you see Veronica? Did you go yes. see it at the premiere? So no, 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 no. Uh, I, I rented it. Oh, you rented it. You rented yeah. it. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, yeah. I, I think it, I have high hopes. I have high hopes. I think it's gonna, uh, I, I think it's gonna be uh, a, a step in it. Listen, you know, you gotta, <laughs> and I know I saw like, I'm kind of like bullshitting my way through this, but I really believe this. I truly believe this. I believe this as a filmmaker, you know, you, 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 you strive, you try your best. I mean, even just as an artist in general, you try your best to bridge your taste with your ability. And every time you, you inch a little bit closer or every time you put something out, you potentially inch a little bit closer to your goal. And it's not easy to do. And, you know, Glenn took a lot of heat <laughs> for Veronica, but you know, I mean, listen, it's, it's not an easy, it's not easy to make a feature like film. It's really, really not. Yeah. Um, do the best you can. <laughs> Do the best you can. So it's, it's endearing, you know. I, I think uh, yeah, it's a, a novelty of a of a movie or a film. You know, it's an art piece more or less. I, I think. I think right. if if you don't go into it thinking you're going to see a motion picture type, you know, yeah, production art. Yeah, I mean, but that's the thing. Like, isn't that the thing with anything though? There's like, there's the it's the intersectionality of art and commerce how much like what's the percentages is it this much commerce versus this much art there are some movies that are 85 percent art and 15 percent commerce there are some movies that are 95 percent art and five percent commerce there are some movies that are like 98 percent commerce and two percent art 
you know, and and that's the stuff that we tend to think of soulless plastic manufactured cardboard crap. You know, um, it all depends on where you put the percentage or the, the percentage all depends on, on who's making it and how and why and where, and, you know, look at a guy like George Romero. He's like this fucking, the most badass punk rock DIY, not DIY, but like regional filmmaker who is just outside of the fucking system making films any which way he can and doing it far in a far more artistic way, in my opinion, than say if he was in Hollywood doing it. You know? Yep. Look at some of those Kenneth Anger films, you know, they're, they're kind of hard to watch. You know, you have to be looking for a certain... You have to, you know, you have to be in a certain mindset. Yes, very you know? much. That's a that's a big screen. Those are movies that need to be watched on a big screen in order to take them in. And I would say those are like, those are like ninety five percent art, five percent yes commerce. Absolutely. You know? Like, um, I saw. I you know I had the privilege of seeing Eraserhead in thirty five millimeter at my local Alamo Draft House at midnight, and. You know, like that's the way you're supposed to watch Racerhead. It's not. Yeah. You're not supposed to. You have to go to the theater to watch it, and and that's the thing. Like that's not a movie that you want to rent on DVD if you can help it. You gotta. It's like an artistic exactly. experience. You have to go to the theater and experience it. You know. Agree. So, yeah. I don't know. Um, John, it's been really great to have you on the show. Truly, it's so nice to like finally fucking like meet you like virtually face to face and have a conversation and see what makes you tick. And <laughs> you, you really are. I mean, you're, you're doing it all, man. You're, you're, you're doing video stuff. You're doing layout. You're, you're doing the label thing. You sing in a band. You, you're a passionate collector of, of stuff, you know, um, and it's just, it's just, it's awesome, man. It's, it's really awesome. And you're, and you're, you're a great staple of the little community that we have in our group. So I'm just, I'm, and I'm so grateful for your support, man. And so it was really great to finally get you on here and, and talk about stuff. And, you know, anytime you want to come on and talk, you got something you want to talk about, you, you feel free, man. Truly. All right. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of fun. Is there, is there anything else that we need to plug or talk about? We talked about the label talked about the music video guys check that out tony matura secret subway tony is the sweetest guy ever just a fucking uh, what we what we jews like to call a mensch a sweetheart <laughs> of a guy um is voice of doom are you guys doing anything like show wise coming up i mean it's hard with the yeah no, nothing plans you know nothing plans, nothing plans. the uh, horror punks uh, group in philly keep on asking us to play shows but no, we, I can't get all five guys to agree, you know, hey, during a pandemic. <laughs> so, dude, it's hard, man. It's hard, yeah. yeah. I don't blame you. I don't, I don't friggin' blame you. But you know what? When you do finally return to stage, it's going to feel really friggin' great. You're going to, it's going to be yeah. a, a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, return, return to form, right? I, I can't, I can't wait to start going to shows again. It'll be great. You let me know. You let me know when you yeah, guys are in. When you guys are, are, are local, that would I had one one other. Out. Please, I'd love to have you, and hopefully we could couple it with a Rob with Robbie Bloodshed. Yeah, what were uh, you going to say? You there was one other, uh, thing? one other 
thing I put in my notes I thought people would find Wait, interesting. Do you, uh, do you have anything? <laughs> is there anything you left out of your notes? Let, go through your notes. You uh, there, there, this was uh, like another like Forrest Gump type situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my buddy London came to the East Coast for something. It was around 2000, I think. And uh, he and Steve were hanging out, and they came to pick me up, and we all went to see uh, Rocky Horror in Times Square with uh, Joan wow. Jett was playing Columbia. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Wait a minute. And Dick Cavett was the MC. <laughs> I fucking went to that show. You did? I fucking wow. saw Joan Jett as Columbia with Dick Cavett, and he gives you the finger. He gave everybody the finger in the fucking... <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I was at the same... Probably not the same show as you guys, but I was yeah. fucking there. Wow. I was fucking there. At one point, That's he hilarious. sat down, like, right next to me during, like, a... I don't know. Ooh, it was Dick very strange. Cavett? Yeah. He was wow. just positioned where we was sitting and he just sat down and the show went on so that was you kind know, of weird i never got to see i mean rocky horror i could we could talk endlessly about rocky horror's incredible film that that's that that's the film that pickled me as a child i saw mm. it way too young and i was never the same again um that that was i never got to see joan jet live but i did get to see joan jet as magenta uh, no as columbia in rocky horror and so to me, like, that's almost as good as seeing a Joan Jett concert. Cause I'm like, I got to see her be Magenta. Not that I can't go see Joan Jett. Like, I mean, she still plays and stuff, but it just, I don't know. I just think it's a really cool thing. And Phantom of the Paradise was a big influence on you, right? Oh, that was another my God. One. <laughs> I, am, I am a ginormous, if you can't, uh, you can't see. Hold my on. girlfriend just turned me on to that a few years ago. And I Are couldn't you, believe oh, it. For I real? could not believe I had never heard of it. Dude, very this strange. Is, dude, went, fucking under my beef. radar. Gary yeah. Graham, hold on. Oh, it's hilarious. Let me see this on. Let me move to Instagram. Tell me, tell me if you could see this on. Uh, can you see that? that that's my yeah. Band of the Paradise poster. Yeah. I am. I am just. I am beef. just. A, <laughs> oh my god, beef! In my <laughs> first film, I had to have. I had a cut out a beef doing that that scallop ah, like that in in the background i just had to have it um if you if anybody who's a rocky horror picture show hold on i'm not red enough I'm a little bit more red here that was like paul williams answer to rocky rocky right except wanted... here's the thing john here's the thing it's not paul williams answer to rocky technically while rocky horror started in 1973 on King's Road in London as a stage play. My girlfriend saw that show in London. Shut that, the fuck up. Yes. Yep. Wow. Yeah, she's got she's got some uh, credentials also. Holy <laughs> shit. Yeah. That is really she fucking was, crazy. Yeah, she was part of the, the the major fan club at the time in the city too. She was born and raised in Manhattan and uh she's got wait, stories. Wait, wait. She was at the original yeah. King's Road, like in the upper theater, whatever that theater was, she saw the original production of Rocky Horror. I'm almost certain it was King's Road. Yeah, I mean, wow. Yeah, that's fucking crazy. Yeah, that's she's like, a few years older than me. She she's got she saw a lot of good stuff. There's no there's no recordings of this thing. Like it's it's like there's a couple of photographs, and it's like such a bare bones production. There's a great oral history book on Rocky. I forget the name. I think it's just called Rocky Horror. And they just talk about, like, they talk about the original Rocky, like, gl glitter used to be made out of glass. 
And so they would cover themselves in glitter and he got glitter went up his dick hole. And like they couldn't do the show because he had he had glass glitter in his dick hole. Like it's just like oh man, so fucked up. Yeah. Now that um, I think about it, it might have been a, like a later version of it, but it was in London and before it was here. You know, so right. I, I don't exactly remember which version she saw. So the but. Roxy version was seventy four. The original London uh, version at uh, on Kings Road was seventy three, and then it came to New York City in 75 after the movie opened up and that was the last time that tim curry was in the was in the production but um so it's interesting rocky horror predates fan of the paradise but fan of the paradise was made as a movie in 1974 now here's the interesting thing kiss starts wearing makeup in mid 1973 as they're producing Family of the Paradise. You said you're a Kiss guy, right? Yeah, yeah. I got a Kiss story for you as well. <laughs> um, so, so they, so there's a band, if you know, in Family of the Paradise called the Undeads, who Bobby Steele actually taken some pictures with because they're oh, oh, I'm dead. <laughs> um, yeah. But they, there is a claim. There are two claims for for Fan of the Paradise. Claim number one, right? Claim number one is that that makeup is what influenced Kiss, and it's been proven mm. that that's not true. That's not possible. Um, because it's just so concurrent that there's no way, what it was, was it was, an, it was uh, they, were, they were influenced, that whole set piece is supposed to be uh, German expressionalism, like, you know, uh, the cabinet of uh, Dr. Kiligari type stuff, right? Um, and Frankenstein and a whole, all these different things. Uh, the other interesting thing is the box that he wears around his neck. That's where they say that Darth Vader got the inspiration for his box, like his mm. breathing life support system, because Brian De Palma was friends with George Lucas right around the time that Brian De Palma is making Phantom of the Paradise. Lucas is struggling to design Star Wars. And so... Wow. There's this idea that the box from the Phantom is what that 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 was the inspiration for that. I so can see Paul that. Paul Williams did like I I think I mean they just sort of came about kind of at the same time. They're both midnight movies. Um and but you know, and I love them both dearly. Like it would be like asking me to cut off like my ring finger or my, my other finger, it would hurt just the same. You know, I love them both for different reasons. Um, but I am just, I, I, I worship Phantom of the Paradise. If anybody's not seen it, it's a great soundtrack. Paul Williams, dude who wrote Rainbow Connection, writes all these great show tune songs, big influence on Gilmo Del Toro and Daft Punk. Um, and I think they've been trying to bring it back. I When I went to the Sleepy Hollow International Film Festival, they played the restored version of Phantom of the Paradise along with Phantom of the Winnipeg. Um, the dude, Malcolm Ingram, who, you know, Kevin Smith's friend, he did a documentary because it was very, very, very popular movie in Winnipeg, Canada. It's the only place where it wasn't a flop, surprisingly enough. Great documentary. Talking about like finding community over some shared interest, over some niche thing that nobody else gives a shit about. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, You're yeah. probably a fan of uh, Breaking Glass too, right? glass i don't know what breaking oh put that on your list to see that's same genre uh, 
uh, English. Uh, yeah. Breaking glass, huh? What What's that about? Uh, it's it's set like in uh, punk London, uh, and this girl uh, rises to fame. Uh, just a bunch of interesting story. It's, uh, it's set like a musical, but um, uh, has like the a punk. fabulous stains. Hmm, you know the not fabulous sure. stains. No. I'll put that um, on my list. <laughs> put that on your list. That's directed by the guy who produced Rocky Horror. Oh. Lou Adler directed that. And it has it has the professionals in it, which is uh, Paul Cook and Steve Jones. Um, and it's just kind of like an English punk film of the time. Definitely worth checking out for sure. Like really great, really, truly great stuff. And I'll give you one last recommendation. Uh, and I got to wrap this up. Because uh, honestly, I will sit here and talk about films like for another fucking hour. Yeah, yeah. I can fucking do that shit. <laughs> um, but I, I want to recommend if you have not seen it, it's out of print. See, I, I, listen, if it wasn't out of print, hold on, I better fucking double check because I don't want people to be fucking not. Um, people should be. Hold on, can you fucking stream it legally somewhere? It's called Meet the Hollowheads. And it's basically live action. Imagine a live action Jetsons episode where Mr. Spacely is coming to dinner. <laughs> you know, like that kind of scenario, but directed by David Lynch. Oh. With John Glover, fucking Bobcat Goat, whatever that guy's name is, Juliette Lewis's first film. Um, and it has the kid from Meet the Hollowheads. Uh, it has the kid from what's his friggin' name? Uh, he plays Homer in Near Dark. He plays the he's the young kid, but he's the oldest vampire. Okay, you can't no, you can't. You have to, it's free on YouTube. I didn't want to say that. I didn't want to say that because I wanted people to stream it legally if they could. You can watch it for free on YouTube. Check out Meet the Motherfucking Hollowheads. Fucking bizarre quirky wonderfulness the only movie that this dude ever directed is a special effects guy so it's loaded with special effects creatures weird shit it takes place in the future like i said live actions jet live action jetsons directed if it was directed by david lynch and if that hits all your, your yeah, buttons, you'll, you'll, yeah you, you, that oh, checks my boxes i'll be checking it out will, yeah please check that out let me know what you think so um, so just to finish up that Rocky story, so uh, please, oh yeah, we right. Sorry, you know that's all right. I'm a fucking asshole, and I like just keep talking. Go ahead. Go We're ahead. in Steve's car, yeah. in London, and my buddy Robert and yeah. Robert's from LA to friend friends with London, a uh, mutual friend. He uh, they're talking about this new project they're working on, Son of Sam, right? Ooh. And uh, but they don't have a vocalist. And Robert goes, "What about Heim?" And Steve and London look at each other and they go, hmm. And then it ended there. I never heard anything else about it. So, you know, they got Davey Havoc. So. Well, that's still <laughs> a pretty cool, that's a pretty cool, like, gas yeah. moment of like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah. They considered you know, me for like two seconds. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. That's, that's, listen, that's, that's, that is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. <laughs> Steve, Steve's a great guy. Steve's great, a great, great guy. guy. Um, All those I guys. Recently, are. I got to. We were. I was down in in the in his in his laboratory, and I got to see. Oh yeah, I saw that. The I saw the the Gretsch, the famous Gretsch that. Oh yes. Owned by uh, George Germain and played friggin' horror business and 
American Nightmare, right? Yeah, fucking awesome. incredible to look at. What is it? Jody says, sorry, Jeff, I'm spamming Glenn's lyrics. I don't know what you're saying. Loved it. Interesting. Guys, I'm so sorry we ignored all the comments. This was not a comment show. When I have a guest, it's not, you can't really do both guests and comments unless you have a third person working the comments. It's really fucking hard. We're going to do another Fiend Mail episode at some point in the future. And at some point, what I would like to do, which I think would be fun, and I've tried to do this in the past, and it never has worked out, but one day I'm going to do it. I want to do a thing where we just have people come on. You come on for five minutes, chat, and then we'll just keep – we'll meet some faces. You know, I just think that would be a lot of fucking fun. Anybody, I'll throw the link out. Anybody who wants to come into the waiting room, as long as you're not some asshole it's going to, like, fucking <laughs> – you know, sabotage everything or do something stupid. Like that and one guy, right? Who is that guy? Which guy? Oh, yeah. Dude, what, were, you, were you here yesterday? Hold on. Were you here yesterday for the Sublime thing? Did you see that? No, I did not see that. But okay. was he on attack again? No. Uh, or are you talking about AM when we were doing the – I don't know. There was There's a, bit, yeah. a few of them. We got a couple of trolls, yeah. There was a guy last night who had a bunch of really vulgar names. And shout out to my man, Rumorg. And that other dude, fuck, I forget his name. I made the moderators in the YouTube comments. I didn't know you could do that until last night. And he was just, I just had to ignore him and block him out as I was just trying to do this, you know, article on Sublime. And uh, I was I was totally off my game. And he did not, or they, or who, him, her, whoever, did not um, <laughs> help matters. But you just got to ignore, you got to ignore the haters and just move on with your life, you know? There's, a, there's always one. There's always it's- one. Truly. Um, I think this is where we're going to end the show. Um, stick around, John, stick around for two seconds. Let's, let me, let me, let me play this show out. So guys, check out Robbie Bloodshed's Bandcamp. Check out Purific, Puric. Tony Matura, Riding the Secret Subway. Riding the Secret Subway, 7-inch. Please, the links are there. I'll put the links in the descriptions as well, so you can check this shit out. We'll we'll post it to the Facebook page as well. We want to make sure we cover all of our bases and promote the shit out of the shit. Um, and, and I just want to say thank you so much to John for his time. And again, John, in the future, we'll, we'll have you on again. Maybe we'll Thanks have for you on me. for some horror movie thing or something. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Totally. Um, let me, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to hide you now. Okay. Okay. He's hidden for a second. Uh, I'm going to say goodbye guys. Make sure. Yeah. All we could do is boot him every five minutes. That's what Rue is talking about with the thing. Hold on, it's not popping up. There, there we go. That was so ridiculous. Thank you, Jody. I see you. Thank you, Jody. Oh shit. Oh no. Everybody's everybody's piling on once. Thank you, everybody. John is the man. I agree. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so I just want to quickly tell you, okay, we've reached the end. I have been very good about spamming stuff. So now I'm gonna spend, if you're still with us, there's 39 of you still with us, guys. Check out the T-shirts. I got links to the T-shirts in the description. Check out the Patreon uh, stuff that you will not see on the YouTube channel is available. And we now have YouTube memberships, stickers, all that sort of jazz. If that's, I think you, uh, Patreon is the way to go. Not Don't do the YouTube membership. But if you prefer the YouTube ecosphere, you could do that. Check out all the links below and stuff. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play you out with uh, the thing that we play out always. And remember, tune in next Wednesday, I will have seen Death Rider in the House of Vampires, God willing, and we are going to talk about some motherfucking vampires. I'll make sure I take notes 
or at least try to remember notes because I don't take notes while I watch movies. And Jeff, shut up, shut up, move on. Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. So I've decided to make a Patreon. What is Patreon? I don't know how to define a Patreon. Let me look it up. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it very easy for creators to get paid for the things that they're already creating. I want to do it full-time. I want this to be my full-time job. In my efforts to make that happen, I've set up this platform. Is it going to work? Is it gonna be successful? I don't know, but I would rather try and crash and burn than not try at all. The goal is to create enough passive revenue so that I can continue to do this full-time uninterrupted. Why? Because I love to do this. I love creating content. I love making videos. I love shooting films. I love doing podcasts. In case you couldn't tell, I love to talk and I never shut the fuck up. So right now, I've kept the Patreon incredibly simple. There's two tiers, and that may change in the future. The Murdergram is a simple way to extend support for all of the hours and hours of free content on the channel for nothing more than a dollar. 38 cents goes to Patreon. What's a buck 38, eh? It's less than a cup of coffee, but it's a great way that you can show support for very little effort. When you divide that dollar 38 by the hours and hours and hours of time spent listening to this endless drivel of content, the dollar cost average works out. Next up is the YouTube casualty for $6.66. The YouTube casualty is loaded to the gills. Enjoy the archive ad-free as well as ad-free early access to special docu-style podcast videos, music reaction commentaries, and the like a month before they drop on YouTube, loaded with ads, I might add. You're also going to get exclusive content and behind-the-scenes content that is not available on YouTube or anywhere else. So you get to peek behind the veil. And believe me, there's a couple of choice pieces. Most of all, more than anything, whether you join the Patreon or not, I just want to thank each and every one of you that comes to the channel, that watches all the shows, that leaves comments, that participates, that subscribes, that's really the most important thing. This is just trying to find a way to earn a living as an artist. And with that, thank you for my TED Talk. Join the Patreon, because we need you! 66 cents.